Infirmary Media. People engage in stuff for jeweling decades. The Matrix and Blade versus Bloodsport and Renegade. Strap on that cap, bust out the power glove. Come fight for what you love. Jeweling decades. Who popping pins, dropping hand grenades. Van Halen locked in Mortal Kombat with David Gray. Found out ballet and sick. I am made of GNR. Come fight for what you love. Jeweling decades. Broadcasting from the Podcast New York Studios, it's the adult-only retro game show where the decades battle for supremacy because it's your history, we just fight for it. I am Mark James, and welcome back to Dueling Decades. This week, we find out what kids had it best in this special children's-themed duel. I'll be representing 1977 alongside these other duelers and the decades they will be fighting for. First off, representing 1988, say hello to Man Crush. What's up? Yeah, I got 1988, and it's uh, whatever kid had the better life in these decades, and that's probably something I should have told these guys before they came on to judge the episode. So now you know. It's uh, you're you're gonna select whoever had the best kid's life out of these decades. No one's half the battle. We're in. <laughs> also on the panel this week in dueling with 1997. Welcome back to the show, Joe Finley. Hey, everybody. Picture a, an almost 16-year-old Joe Finley. Um, looks pretty much the same, just a large baby in general. And he's ready to rock and roll and defend his decade. And as always here on the show, we need somebody to adjudicate all of this awesomeness. So this week's celebrity guest judges have been working in film and television for over 20 years in front and behind the camera. Their latest project, The Orange Years, looks behind the slime at the origins of Nickelodeon. All rise and welcome judges Adam Sweeney and Scott Barber. Yeah. It's great to be here. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest will be held under Dueling Decades rules. The judges coin flip shall decide who picks first out of the five Dueling Decades categories. Movies, television, music, news, and hot products. A judge's ruling will determine who wins each round, allowing the victor to choose the next available category. The first three rounds are worth one point each, with rounds four and five worth two points apiece. And in the event of a tie, after all five rounds, we shall go to a final wild card round. All right, stop what you're doing, because I'm about to ruin the image and style that you're used to as we play more Dueling Decades. Let's go right down to our guest judges for the official coin toss. All right. Joe, you call it. All right, and call it. Tails. It's Tails. You better believe it's Tails. All right, Joe (laughs) Finley, you won the coin toss this week and get to select our first category. Where are we going? Ooh, um, this is a tough one. This was a really interesting uh, year and category. I think I'm going to start with music. We're going to start in January 7th of 1997. Uh, It was the beginning of a movement that lasted well beyond the year, but this year in and of itself was a gigantic year. It was the year of Spice Mania. The Spice Girls on January 7th released Wannabe in the U.S. It becomes the first U.K. female group to top the U.S. charts and the first British act ever to top the U.S. charts with their debut album. Uh, They were also the first British act since the Beatles to have two albums on the same U.S. charts simultaneously. 
in addition, they were the first act in the history of the UK Top 40 to have four straight number one singles, all from that debut album. Uh, on May 11th, they made news uh, when they did their first live gig in the UK when they broke royal protocol by uh, kissing Prince Charles and giving him a little pinch on the bum, as they say over there. Uh, that same year, their movie Spice World came out, as well as their soundtrack, uh, which was released on November 1st of 1997, and it went number one in 14 countries. And on November 7th, they kind of topped out their year by firing uh, the famous manager, Simon Fuller. You know him as creator of American Idol and many other things, and they became their own managers. But uh, this was a year when girls learned about girl power and boys learned a whole hell of a lot about themselves uh, as they watched the Spice Girls and just watched their like meteoric rise all within 1997. Spice up your life. All right. <laughs> All right, Man Crush, what do you have for the music round? All right, well, I'm glad Joe went there. But let's go back to August 12th, 1988. And I had to be completely subjective with this pick. I combed through the entire year, and there's no discounting how enormous this album was. But I could have went with Tiffany, Weird Al, Fresh Prince. There were a lot of, like, mega albums that were kid-centric in 1988. However, I'm married to a woman who is not only a diehard fan of this band now, but back then she walked miles. She told me a story today because I, I I told her what I was picking. I'm sure Mark knows where I'm going with this. Really. <laughs> she, oh, man. She, her dad drove her up to Saratoga and she walked miles to the Saratoga Performing Arts Center on June 25th, 1990 to see this band. She said that there were cars backed up along the highway and people were just pulled over and they parked there. Because it was so backed up. And this was also the same show where uh, Donnie Wahlberg, he fell through a trap door in the stage and almost broke his neck. Uh, but luckily for Donnie, uh, he walked away with a couple minor bruises. Uh, but luckily for my wife, this occurred at the very end of the show. So she said that they saw him jump and never land. And nobody thought anything of it. And <laughs> the show ended. Uh but here's the thing, like, even though like a lot of guys hated this band, hated in 19, like despised girls, loved them. You had huge buttons, jackets, T-shirts, dolls, posters, They even had a cartoon. But this album right here, it sold over 14 million albums worldwide. It went eight times platinum in the U.S. It had five hit singles, not just one like Spice Girls, five they had Please Don't Go Girl, You Got It, The Right Stuff, I'll Be Loving You, which was, of course, the number one, uh, hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100, Hanging Tough, which is everybody's favorite, and Cover Girl, which uh, reached number two on the Hot 100. There were boy bands before this. I'm not going to discount that. But New Kids on the Block solidified this genre for the next decade. The cash cow that was NKOTB, it laid that groundwork for NSYNC, the Backstreet Boys, maybe even the Spice Girls. My wife still goes to see them in concert to this day. I'm not sure exactly how many of these concerts she went to, but millions of other women around the world still go to see these guys on tour. Guys, too. And, but this is the release of their smash hit album, Hanging Tough by New Kids on the Block. Impressive. Oh, my gosh. Like, the... This is like the Clash of the Titans, like and too underrated. Like I mean, like I don't know how they're underrated, 
But if you would have asked me to name like the cornerstones or what, you know, like Scott, if you would have asked me to name like the biggest things that happened in, you know, 97 or, or 88 or 90, like, oh my gosh. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what the, what the next one is. Yeah. This is going to be a tough one. Anytime there's like a full year, I think everybody brings it. Oh yeah. So this is going to be tough. I'm telling you right now. What do you got, Mark? All right, so my album was released on June 25th, 1977, and ended up winning a Grammy for the Best Album for Children, Uh, although this is a soundtrack for a television show, oddly enough, and not even a television show that came out in 1977. It's from the television show from the previous year in 76. This album reached number 153 on Billboard's Top LPs and Tapes charts, the album was also a number one hit in the UK, knocking out the Beatles live at the Hollywood Bowl for the number one spot for this soundtrack from The Muppet Show. Mm. The Muppet Show soundtrack, absolutely phenomenal release on vinyl, cassette, 8-track. Mm. It was available on, on all of them. Hits from the TV show, plus some originals that they had re-recorded just for this album. All the hits are on here. Of course, the Muppet Show theme, my personal favorite, Manamana. Uh, you had <laughs> It's Not Easy Being Green, Sax and Violence. Uh, you had a monologue by Fozzie <laughs> Bear with assistance from Kermit the Frog, of course. Veterinarian's Hospital, Tenderly, Simon and Simon, I'm in Love with a Big Blue Frog. Just an absolutely phenomenal album if you're a fan of the Muppets, of course. So that's what I had for 1977, the Grammy award-winning soundtrack from the television show, The Muppet Show. Wow. And real quick, Rainbow Connection was not on that, right? No, that's a Muppet movie one. That's the Muppet movie. Okay, just had to double check. All right, all right. Okay, Uh, a couple of things. You know, 1997, I got to give it to you. The late 90s, in my opinion, were not a good time for music. (laughs) There was a lot of... (laughs) new metal isn't that when creed kind of came out not to not to knock on anything but uh <laughs> with arms wide open <laughs> and then you know you had somebody wants tommy's a baba you know anytime people say that music is at an all-time low i always bring up like wait 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 you know so i gotta give it to you uh joe that to find a a, a bright light in such a dark time i give you credit for that um Man Crush. Uh, okay, New Kids on the Block. Wow. So, first of all, my wife is a huge New Kids on the Block fan as well, and she actually has the dolls to this very day. When we go back to her house in Arlington, Texas, you can find a box from her childhood, and they're like kind of like Ken dolls of the New Kids on the Block. <clears throat> and when you get that uh, Donnie Wahlberg little action figure i guess not a, whatever ken doll it looks just like a ken doll but but it's it's donnie Wahlberg, and it has a real hair rat tail on the back like real <laughs> hair it's not pla- like the rest of his hair is plastic but that is actually real hair so that's awesome and me and adam have a little uh little experience with rat tails <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah like i uh scott scott uh would rocked one of the best mullets that i've ever seen in my life and i had a break not a cool like padawan jedi style like side braid i had a full-on rat tail and 
I wish that we had pictures of it. Uh, Donnie <laughs> Wahlberg's ears would be ringing right yes. now. He would be yes. like, yeah. Well, as he goes on tour and makes more money. Um, yeah. We always talk about how like Nickelodeon, you know, we made this Nickelodeon documentary. We always talk about how Nickelodeon brought us together, but maybe it was also like, we were like the weird haired kids at our school. <laughs> you know, like, Hey, you've got a rat, like a really long rat tail. And I've got a mullet. Let's just be friends because that makes sense. So we are, I have to say, we are partial to New Kids on the Block because of our close, you know, the love of my life uh, and one of my dearest friends uh, both ha- have, have our rat tails are very, are very important. So I, I do have to say, we, there might be a first time I've ever heard. Yeah, that. there's a conflict of interest there, um, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I mean, Mark, that, I mean, that, the, 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 the Muppet soundtrack, I mean, that's just amazing. What 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 do you think, Adam? What do you? I don't know. I'm my head's spinning right now. You know, I I mean, I remember playing Foursquare, and I remember many many of my crushes having New Kids on the Block shirts. Yeah, and me going, I would not be cool enough to qualify to be the five hundredth newest kid on on that block. Right. I would just be walking, <laughs> watching from far far away. Uh, I I oh man I. I do. I, I love what the Spice Girls represented. Uh, I was actually today, you know, whenever I was going through my Instagram, I was looking at I was looking at the, um, uh, you know, just images and they were showing. I forgot if it's the anniversary or whatever. But it basically showed all the Spice Girls. And I was just like, man, like what they did then, because because there's a lot like, you know, there are different boy bands, but there's there's only one girl power, right? Like Spice Girls, like that's it, right? That is like the one before Destiny's Child, before, and I'm sure that you probably name others, but like they were amazing. I mean, you can, who can name, I mean, you can name like Scary, Sporty, Ginger, Posh, Baby, right? Like that quickly, even if you're not a fan of them. And then the legacy yeah. that the Muppets have, my goodness ooh, gracious, ooh. you know, and sax and violence. I mean, you want to talk about a heavy hitter. Like, I, I, <laughs> um, I, Scott, who are you going to pick real quick? Who are you? Gonna I don't know. Pick? I'm trying. I'm trying to think with my head, not my heart, because also I had this girlfriend in high school. Mm. Uh, you know, I know I, I'm basing so much of this on the on the, the, the women in my life, you know, like my wife having a uh, the new kids on the block. Uh, I mean, she can we, sing every song. We all um, do, Scott. We all do. But I had this girlfriend in high school and she told me she was going to go see um, Spice World with her girlfriends and it was like, come on, it's going to be this girl power moment. Um, but then instead of going to go see that movie, she was actually, um, was cheating on me. So, Oh, okay. Yeah. Girl power, bro. <laughs> girl power. <Damn>. Yeah. <laughs> Whoopsie. Yeah. Spicing up your life. Got it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, maybe you just couldn't get with her because you didn't get with her friends. I had I just hey, Right. <laughs> That's the secret. You got to get with, if you want to be my lover, got to get with my friend. I never understood well, that. I didn't line. either. What does that mean? Like you want me to hook up or you want me to like get along like cordially, like it'd be a nice person. Yeah, or both. both. Yeah, if both, you can't be friends maybe. with my friends, you can't be in my life because they're more to me than you. Is it like a, the idea. like a tra- like a lost in translation thing where get with means something different in the States than it, yeah. kind of like Fanny, yeah. you know, to, I always thought Fanny meant butt. <laughs> but it means something very different over in the UK. Not in England. You know? Not in England. In that mm. instance, I would think being a little more direct would be in your favor <laughs> because that's a big mistake to screw yeah. up. 
How many guys use that as an excuse, though, in the 90s? At least one yeah. must have. <laughs> I was just trying to get with all your friends. Yeah, because <laughs> like, they could, because, you know, I mean, it's like I could go wait a second. Making love's forever. And they're like, yeah, but see, friendship never ends. But friendship never ends. I really, really, really want a zig-a-zig. Ah. Ah. That's just straight up British. Yeah. yeah. So, Scott, so who are you, who are you choosing, man? I'm going to go 88. NKOTB. Okay. Happy happy wife, happy, happy life. wife, happy life. I got these you. I don't want to sleep <laughs> on the couch. <laughs> All right, man crush, you pick up a point in the first round and take control of the board. What category are we going with next? Oh man, much like Joe said, it is difficult to select. Uh let's go with let's go with news. Let's knock this one out of the park. Nice and early. Let's go to September 3rd, 1988. This is something I pulled out of the Asbury Park Press. And uh, the title of this article is Nickelodeon is changing its lineup for the TV generation. And they said uh, this fall and that, of course, 1988 Nickelodeon will be expanding their fall lineup to include more old comedies and a new but old style cartoon series created by animator Ralph Bakshi. And that would actually go on to become Christmas in Tatertown. Uh, the Patty Duke show will be added to Nick at Night's lineup, a lineup that already includes Mr. Ed, My Three Sons, The Donna Reed Show, and Make Room for Daddy. In addition, this was cool. This is what I remember. I also remember Mr. Ed really good. I used to watch that at night, too. But they included the best of Saturday Night Live and SCTV back-to-back from 10 to 11 o'clock. So it was kind of cool to be kind of ahead of the curve with your friends, and especially at the time I was 10 years old. Uh, but by doing this, uh, Nick at Night is targeting the new American family. Uh, their demographics are telling them that both kids and their parents are watching these shows. They aren't exactly sure who is dragging who to the TV set, but Nickelodeon Vice President Linda Kahn said it's either the mom who loves the Donna Reed show or the kid who just discovered Mr. Ed. And additionally, Nick and Knight will also be adding the satirical news show called Global Village. The motto of that show is, if we don't cover it, it doesn't matter. And uh, Nick isn't ending there because they're also adding Kids Court to their daytime mix and Eureka's Castle for the preschool crowd. And again, that's an article out of the Asbury Park Press on September 3rd, 1988. Wow. Obviously, that... that, uh... Means a lot to Adam and I <laughs> working on a Nickelodeon documentary. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's great. Um, should we should we leave our comments till the end of the round and just kind of go? No, you mm-hmm. could say whatever. Yeah, that's cool. You can uh, if you want to throw in a little bit. I know this one, this round probably. That's why I try to bring this one in there. I wasn't completely trying to pander to the judge, <laughs> sure, but uh, sure. I figured. <laughs> but I figured towards the late eighties, Mark and I said the same thing before. Um, this was kind of like our heyday for Nickelodeon. So I was really kind of looking for something Nickelodeon news wise. It meant something to me. And I think at the time, Nick at night and yes. like I was starting to get away from the daytime programming, but Nick at night was kind of my thing a little bit. So how, that's where I went. That how direction. impressive is that? You know, cause the whole thing, we got to talk to the people that made uh, Nick at night, you know, who made that a thing. And basically the channel that would go on to be a and E uh, that was part of uh, of Nickelodeon after nine o'clock, and they left. They're like, "Hey guys, we're gonna go form our own channel." So they were left with nothing. So they said, "What do 
what do we do? You know, we got to fill the airwaves and we have no money. So how genius is that to just get a bunch of old shows that nobody else is playing and just and just play them? And like you said, you know, co-viewing with, you know, shows like Pixar, you know, things like that where like the parent and the kid likes it. It's everywhere. And that was really one of the first right. times we saw that. And also it's playing into nostalgia the same way we're all nostalgic for 80s and 90s stuff. Adults in the 80s and 90s were very nostalgic for those 50s and 60s shows. And I, I loved watching all the, I loved even Dobie Gillis, you know, Mr. Ed, all that stuff. Uh, so I, I, yeah, Nick, Nick at, Nick at night was genius. And Eureka's Castle, that show always gets overlooked for Nick Jr. Everyone always skips forward to like the Blues Clues and stuff like that. But man, Eureka's Castle was like awesome. They covered so much on that show. Like I was totally past that by the time I was 10. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, they went over stuff like, being scared in the dark and like using your telephone and things like that. That was ahead of its time. You didn't see that anywhere else. I mean, unless you were watching maybe PBS, but Nickelodeon like really brought it. And that point that you just made, that was huge uh, tying your parents in because then you kind of had something to talk about as well with your parents, you know, because they weren't going to watch. Maybe they weren't going to watch double dare with you, but they would watch Mr. Ed with you. Or, you know, Best for Saturday Night Live. And he had something to kind of talk about. A fun so. fact, too, about that is that they put Mr. Ed on first so that they figured that if there were kids that were still awake, why not put a show on that they would kind of like? And they figured a talking horse would be one. I thought that was kind of genius, you know, instead of going leading in with like Dragnet or something like that. That's like yeah. very procedural. <laughs> kids would be like, what is this? Say the first Nick, when Nick at night would come on, the first show was Mr. Ed. I thought that was super genius. It's, appropriate. it's fantastic. It's appropriate also really quickly that you, that you mentioned that. Cause I was going to say, we're actually following up the orange years with um, a Mr. Ed documentary. Yeah. So we oh, no think shit. that that's going to, no, that's not true at all. Could you imagine if we were like, we're not here for Nickelodeon anymore. We're over it. We're going to talk about all the Ed heads. Come on, Ed heads. <laughs> I was like, did they really stick a carrot up his ass? Don't you want to know? <laughs> How did they make him talk? Yeah. We got an exclusive interview with uh, with the horse. <laughs> Straight from the horse's mouth. Oh, hey. <laughs> All right, Joe Finley, what do you have for the news round? I'm going to take you to November 23rd, 1997, and it's a review from the New York Times, and I give you a little teaser here. If you like talent, you have to acknowledge the magical accomplishments of Julie Tamer in transforming the 1994 Disney cartoon feature into a major Broadway event. The result is one of the most memorable, moving, and original theatrical extravaganzas in years, an enterprise that can only make the profit-propelled Disney organization even richer. I give you... The release of The Lion King, the musical on Broadway. Uh, the original date, the premiere was October 15th, 1997, featured all the original music by Tim Rice and Elton John, as well as additional music written by Hans Zimmer. They brought this animation to life with the use of puppets on stage and elaborate costumes, and they turned a movie into a culture. And frankly, as a 
I don't know, a jaded teenager. I remember thinking, oh, that's not going to last at all. Well, guess what, jaded teenager? You were wrong because this thing is still running. It has run more than 9,000 performances in its run. It is the third longest running show in Broadway history and is the highest grossing Broadway show in history with more than a billion dollars in ticket sales. Uh, this thing was just a mammoth. And I just uh, take you to one last quote from that, uh, from that article, uh, the review in the times says, look out for the stampede of wildebeest. Be prepared for the moment when the birds fill the theater time and time again, Miss Tamer seduces the audience into seeing what in reality isn't there. That is theater. And so I give you the lion King, the musical from 1997. That's awesome. And that's, I can say, so Scott and I both have a, like a theatrical background. So you're probably speaking like you, you're definitely like tugging at the heartstrings for us. Mm. And I know exactly what you're talking about. And I, yeah. So I, I mean, Lion King obviously is amazing. Anytime that you can do like a great retelling of, of Hamlet, like, and then take it to another level, right. You know, they could have done like Lion King by itself, right? Like, like the Lion King, there was the adaptation that just was done, right? Where they're like, oh, it's live and animation. Yeah. It's like, I don't know what that means. But yeah, what J- what Julie mm. Taymor did was absolutely phenomenal. So props to that. Oh uh, yeah, Julie Taymor. I have a super big soft spot for Julie Taymor. Such a big fan of hers. Can we also talk about her follow-up to The Lion King, Spider-Man Into Into <laughs> Dark? <laughs> where it was like Into Dark or Into the Dark? I didn't realize that was her. That's hilarious. That was her. Where you two uh, did the uh you too did the soundtrack. I think it finally got made after a couple of people got like really hurt. Yes. Um, yeah, that one wasn't uh, so good. But uh, but Lion King. I mean, yeah, I was the same way because I was about that same age. It's like, oh man, I don't want to Lion King. And then you see what she did with it. It's like, oh my god. And that was that was my first experience with Julie Taymor. Since then, there's a a film she did. Um, Titus Andronicus that I saw. I'm a huge fan of her version of Titus Andronicus and her film work and her, I mean, she's just, again, 1997, everyone has their own opinion to me in a lot of ways. It was a dark spot, you know, um, for art, but, uh, and that, that's just me. Um, but so the, 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 the few shining spots like her, you know, uh, I give a lot of credit for, I love Julie Taymor. And actually the fact that I'm kind of I I, I I I talk bad about Into Dark, but I have a super big soft spot for that too, in a so bad it's good kind of way. So it's all a plus for me. I love Julie Taymor, and uh, I I love that her Lion King adaption, super cool. How can you hate a pick that Hans Gruber was the composer of? Awesome. <laughs> I didn't know that he was a composer. I didn't say Hans Gruber, did I? Oh, you didn't? No, I said Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer. Oh, all right. Either way, though, I mean, like, I would definitely listen to Hans Gruber's. I would, yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> the review, all Hans on deck. <laughs> <laughs> she took she took something that could have been really boring and made it like a like you said a piece of art. That's what that that yeah. that musical is. It's a piece of art, and it it made me think it was cool when I was I was the same thing, jaded little punk teenager who was like, I don't like Disney, and I saw that I was like, damn, that's freaking amazing. All right, well, this is pretty amazing, so let's go into the darkness for my news story. Now, when I took a look at this topic in the news round, I really wanted to do something a little different with it, and I thought, you know, looking for kids' things allowed me to do that. So I remember when I was a kid picking up the newspaper, 
I only cared about two things. I'd flip over to the sports section, check the box scores from whatever game was on last night, and then I went straight to the comics. So that's where I went with this. So I found an article, January 3rd, 1977. He's followed the Green Goblin, fought teenage pregnancy, and chased more women than Hugh Hefner has business. The Amazing Spider-Man, the popular web-crawling, web-slinging superhero, is arriving to the Tribune Comics section today. Though he is being launched for the first time in the newspaper comic strip, he has been a bestseller for Marvel Comics since his creation by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko in 1962. So January 3rd, 1977, the very first time we started getting Spider-Man comic strips syndicated in the newspapers. I remember it. It was one of the only cool comics. I mean, you had like all the little kitty comics and, you know, you had Family Circle and Dilbert and all of those. But I was never into those characters. I was into comic books. So for me, Spider-Man was in the newspaper now every week. It was really cool. Now, this series ran for over 40 years. Uh, Once, unfortunately, uh, Stan Lee passed away, it was handed over to somebody else for a couple of more years, and then they wrapped it up. But a 40-year run for uh, Spider-Man in the newspapers. So that's my news story. January 3rd, 1977, The Amazing Spider-Man. And Stan Lee wrote it that whole time? Yeah, he did. He, He started on writing it, and actually, Steve Ditko was on the project for the first four years. And it was it was still them. They tried to actually launch it earlier in 1970, and the newspapers didn't bite. And they came up with a few panels, and they, nobody would buy it. So years later, they tried again, and in 77, finally, they were able to get it in the newspapers. I'm a huge Spider-Man fan. Like, I love Spider-Man so much, and I remember reading the comics. I'm surprised that, I mean... You know, granted, like publications are a little bit different now. Print media is different now. But I'm surprised that there hasn't been a transition over to Miles Morales, like his story, because it seems like there would be a lot of room for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was one of my favorite, favorite things to do. I was, in the, I was in the same boat, Mark. Like I loved reading sports. I'd read the lifestyle section because I, because I was into like music and pop culture and movies. And then I would also read and then I would I would go to the comics. Right. Right. And so, like y'all said, like I would see Doonesbury and I was like, hey, that's political and I'm not very smart. So I'm going to skip past that one. (laughs) And then I would go like directly to Spider-Man. And so the fact that Stan Lee did that for so long, like you said, Steve Ditko as well, speaks to the power of of not only not only Spider-Man, the comic itself, but just the fact that it was able to stay there for that long. Scott, what do you think, yeah, well, I, I I was in the same boat as well in the late 80s, early 90s when I would read the comics in the newspaper. I, I would, mine was the Turtles. I The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles had a comic strip and I would always read those. And that's kind of what got me into comic books. And the majority, it's funny, the majority of the Spider-Man comic books I enjoyed as a kid weren't written by Stan Lee because this was already 80s and 90s. So it would be cool if, 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 to, to, I love reading stuff that's actually from him. You know, it's a, a real right. treat. So yeah, that's that's really cool. I'm I'm with you there. I loved reading comics, like comic book type stuff in the comics, much more than like. I mean, even though Far Side is awesome, it really is. But like, I, that's that was always the first one I did. My, again, mine was Turtles, not Spider Man. But I feel you in spirit, the overall spirit of reading a comic book in the comics. So we got to choose. We got to choose the winner. I brought the axe down last time, so you do it this time. <laughs> uh, 
my gosh. Like, personally, personally, I love Spider-Man so much. But for the for the sake of us in being community, I, I have to ask if you can feel the love tonight. So we got to go with Lion King on this one. I, think. <laughs> I agree. And give a shout out to Spider-Man as well. For yeah, <laughs> it's kind of a little bit of both. Yeah. I, I want to watch it. Like, have you do, have you actually seen it, Scott? Like, I mean, not live, obviously, but have you actually, or have any of y'all seen? Like, have y'all seen any mm-hmm. version of it? The, not the whole thing. No, I've seen chunks. Yeah, it, it kept getting rewritten and rewritten and rewritten. And it's it's weird to think because this was right before like superhero mania happened. I think yep. it was even before the Spider-Man movie where it was like, whoa, people are going to see him. And they were going to do all these tricks and people were getting hurt and they yep. were trying to shut it down. There's a, 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 a YouTube video that I watched where they kind of give you the history of what the hell happened with that musical. Because I think it, it it didn't last. It came out. They kept saying no. it was still in a preview Period, yeah. and they, they lost all their. Wasn't it crazy expensive? Too? It was yeah. crazy. It was one expensive. of the most expensive. They lost all their money. Yeah, the, and like I yeah. said, U two tried to do all the music, and even U two, it's mm-hmm. if even at some point, if Bono is going, yeah, this is too douchey even for me. Like you know, you <laughs> take a couple of steps back and, and rethink. Go to YouTube. I'm pretty sure you can find one of the late night shows had a performance of it as like their musical act yes. at the end. Okay. It feels very much like the Roger Corman yeah. Fantastic Four. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> like it has that you you see the Green Goblin going around yes. and you're like, I'm pretty sure I could buy a better costume than that. Yeah. Like yeah. Oh now I really want to see it. Yes, it's I really know what you're interesting. Because I remember seeing the pre I remember seeing like a preview of, of like a, a teaser of it, right? Or whatever, mm-hmm. like when they released it. And I remember seeing him and it was just like He's like, mm. yeah, and I was like, that is not intimidating at all. I don't know what the hell that is. L- but- like Celine Dion says, it's all coming back to me now. I'm remembering it. Like they change it where it's like a spider god instead of. And listen, yes. I'm all for if you want to rework things or reimagine things. I think that's great. Like Adams talked about bringing in Miles Morales. That's a great way to kind of revitalize. But the way they did it was not right. Like, instead of him getting his powers and it just being this random thing where a radioactive spider, there's a whole spider god that kind of is, serves as a narrator. Yes. It, it's <laughs> it just like, a very bonkers story. Like, it yeah, doesn't. It was a ra- Her name was like Arachne or something yes, like that. And she, yes. It's like the Greek chorus. There's a whole Greek like, chorus. Is- like, wait, what? For Spider Man? <laughs> I don't know, because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like, was was the Spider-Man story, like, something people didn't like? Like, it's kind of been around for, like, 40, 50 years at this point. Anyway. Yeah. 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 All, right, All right, Joe Finley, you picked up a point, tied the game, heading into our final one-point round. What category are we going with next? All right, I'm on my way. I just can't wait to be king. Um. <laughs> All right, I think I'm going to go movies, actually. And I want to talk about 1997 as being a lot of things. A lot of dark movies came out this year. Not a very kid-friendly year. We're talking things like a lot of the dark sci-fi, your Gattacas, you had your Devil's Advocate. Things like these are coming out. Your Titanic comes out. Not a not a kid-friendly. They they weren't down with the sinking ships at the time, which is why they weren't into Spider-Man. Uh, <laughs> that Spider-Man musical. It's a love story. <laughs> I hear you, but you know, until until you can understand Billy's how awesome Billy Zane is, you don't get to watch that movie. All right. So, what 1997 was in film to me was the 20th anniversary of a very special movie and the release of a special edition of that movie 
And the first time I got to see it in theater, I'm talking about Star Wars, but not just Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, all in a 90-day period, were released for viewing by the fans and by an entire generation of children the first time they ever got to see this movie in the theaters. Uh, it was a huge deal when it came out because it was the special edition and they had made changes. Uh, there are obviously opinions on each individual change, some far for the worse, some for the better. Uh, Ian McDiarmid being added into the Empire Strikes Back uh, to kind of consolidate the whole thing was a... was a good addition. Uh, they did some little CG things here and there, and then they did ones that were too big. And then they did one, the big musical number in return of the Jedi, which maybe wasn't as well received. Uh, but this brought in the dough folks. Uh, the first uh, episode four brought in 256 million episode five, brought in 124 episode six, brought in another 89. It combined for seven weeks at number one, these movies. Uh, but just like I said, the main thing was this, this introduced star Wars to one group of children introduced star Wars on the big screen to another group of children. And then somebody who like me, who had seen it dozens of times and loved star Wars, I got to experience it in a way that I never imagined I was going to be able to, because we weren't talking about prequels yet. We weren't talking about sequels yet. We weren't talking about solo. You know, it was, this was to me, my only chance at getting this experience. And it was life-changing in ways, you know? So that's what I've got. Uh, Star Wars Episode Four and its happy little sequels coming out uh, January 31st, February 21st, and March 14th, 97. So Adam knows m more about Star Wars than almost anybody on the planet. He's a member of the 501st. He can talk about that. Nice. But I, So I want to ask you a question, Adam, if I'm remembering this right. Mm -hmm. When these movies, when that those came out, was that kind of the first time people realized, was it kind of like a sign of things to come, like with the CGI and the constant re-edits and stuff like that? Like, was that kind of the feeling there where it wasn't that whenever they put like um, Jabba? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. So they did, they put Jabba in, um, they, they did the additional Wampa monster. Uh, like, uh, like Joe was saying, they, Putting in, uh, it wasn't a CGI. Well, it was, but putting in the Emperor Palpatine was amazing, right? Like the Son of Skywalker, yeah. you know, like he'll join us or die. Such an amazing, um, amazing scene to edit that a little bit. Um, but yeah, that was that was the precursor to, to Phantom Menace, right? Uh, and that was like George Lucas is for better. That was, who knew that that was going to be the precursor also to McClunky, uh, yes. which is... <laughs> everyone loves now everyone and, loves mcclunky yeah because he re-edited that right where he he wanted to re-edit where han uh yes didn't shoot Boba that's Fett, right or, he Greedo also shoots him first. that all we do we do have to consider that though we got to take the good with the bad is that that was han shot that was han shot first right like but that was Greedo shot first instead of han shot first but it still bears i mean i can say around that time i remember going also and Man, it was amazing, right? Because because we hadn't seen it before then, right? Yeah. And so you didn't have the context of it. So like when you get to see them going right to like the, on the Death Star trench run, and you get to see all the X-wing S foils opening, right? Yeah. Which was yeah. added into it also. 
Yeah. It was a powerful, Pretty I mean, cool. it's, a power, it's, it, it's a powerful trilogy uh, in, in 90 days, no less. That's, yeah, I like wow. it. Great pick, Joe. You know, those re-releases of those movies were absolutely phenomenal. But you know what was better than that? The original releases. Yes. <laughs> That's my boy. <laughs> so let me sneak my pick in here. May 25th, 1977. We get Star Wars, A New Hope. So that's my pick for the Never movies heard. round. What's that? <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to go to a uh, article hit in the Courier Journal out of Louisville, Kentucky. Now, here on the show, you know we use newspapers.com exclusively to do a lot of our research. And one of the things we always find is a lot of the reviews are the same. I wanted to find something a little different and try to find kind of a bad review for Star Wars. So I found <laughs> one. Uh, written by Scott Hammond. Burn him! Yelled one of the teenagers behind me as the spaceship was gunning down another with laser beams. The occasion was a showing of Star Wars, a new science fiction film that had just started the other night in showcase cinemas. Now the article goes on to say Star Wars never climbs above the level of Saturday morning television shows. Programs intended for no one older than 15, but thanks to special effects... In artistry, it can entertain the same audience much more efficiently. Monsters abound, the forces triumph over good and evil, and there's an abundance of extraterrestrial violence, exceptionally well executed by the movie studio. Now, the article does go on to say occasional comic relief, and primarily in the form of two robots who do a kind of Laurel and Hardy act, don't help much. So, yeah, a bad Ooh. negative review for Star Wars. He ends up closing the article by saying that uh, there's nothing too objectionable in the film. Although, if you're an adult, try to go see it without children. You'll enjoy it a little bit more. So, that's what I got for my pick. Had to sneak that in there. May 25th, 1977. We get Star Wars. Good one. I hope that things work out for George Lucas. Cause... Yeah, I think he does yeah, yeah. okay. I mean, as of this year, 2020, Star Wars, the franchise alone is worth $70 billion. Wow. Yeah, I, I, so, so two things really quickly. At first, when you said burn him, I thought you were going to say that was the entire review about Coach Lucas. <laughs> I was like, geez. He kind of does burn him throughout the article, bit. so it is fitting. <laughs> yeah, and I remember, I remember whenever the prequels, the Attack of the Clones were, were coming out, and somebody, or he had, that was whenever George Lucas decided to go to digital film right like he started telling all theaters like you have to show my film in digital technology which are, are in, in uh, digital prints which ended up actually paving the way for like the ability for us to make films right? right um but i remember somebody going well you know the reason that he did that is because he's broke and so he can't afford <laughs> actual film and i was like uh i don't really have the internet right now as much but i <laughs> I think you may be wrong. I don't think that's <laughs> yeah, true. Slightly. Could be slightly, slightly off. Um, yeah, the OG. the OG. I was wondering if that was going to happen. I was wondering if the if the OG yeah. was going to come out. Scott, what do you think about that real quick before we get to Man Crush? I love it. And I, I love the fact that you chose a negative review. That's so awesome. <laughs> Just goes to show how it's like whoopsie like I, I love doing that reading old articles and pretending as though i'm like a time traveler like you dumbass you know uh, <laughs> i read an article about green day saying like oh the day we start recording with like acoustic guitars and stuff we'll just hang it up because that's stupid and it's like whoopsie um yeah. 
I love that, that you're like, oh, yeah, how the guys say in R2-D2 and C-3PO don't really work. It's like, yeah. So, huh? obviously, yeah, I love I love Star best. Wars, and I love the fact that you chose a negative review. That's awesome. All right, Man Crush, what Star Wars thing do you have from 1988? <laughs> <laughs> I will throw out that uh, I was going to give you a perfect segue before you went. It would have worked out much better. I was just going to say to Joe... It would yep. have been so much better if they re-released it in 35 millimeter because then it would have felt like the real thing in 1997. Instead, I always felt like that was a cash grab, which it was, to build up to the new movies, which is fine, but it didn't really take you back. It didn't give you that real feel of seeing the movie in 35 millimeter. And if you've never done that before, for any of your favorite movies, if anybody's ever playing a 35 millimeter cut of whatever... You need to go see it because it it will take you back. It's like traveling in a time machine, especially if you go see it at a drive-in because you're not in a new movie theater or anything like that. And it just feels like you're in the time when it was released. So I highly recommend that if you get the chance to do it. And we're close enough. If you're in uh, close to the PA area, Mahaning Drive-In, fantastic place to do that. They always run those 35 millimeters. But let's go to a totally different movie. I will not go with Star Wars. We're going to go to uh, June 22nd of 1988. I was 10 years old when this came out. And for as big as this movie was, I will be honest, I was not one of the kids that was flocking to the theaters to see this. I've mentioned this on the show plenty of times. I was already watching like Friday the 13th at like 6. So I was way less enamored with cartoons by the time I was 10. So if I had to personally select like a kid movie in 1988, personally, I probably would have went with like license to drive or something like that. So give me something with the cores, you know, however, it would be an absolute travesty. And it's funny because before this episode came on, Mark's telling me about his picks and he's like, I didn't want to go with anything that might have been brought up before that was too big. And he brings Star Wars. That's a terrible impression. That was like (laughs) the only one. I didn't want to go with all of them. I couldn't ignore Star Wars. So I don't feel bad about my pick now. So I don't I feel bad about it at all. Because uh, for the normal 10-year-old, this probably was like every kid in 1988 marked this down in their calendar. And they're like, I'm going to see that movie. And that sounds exactly like Mark and his pick. So my impressions <laughs> suck. But here's a movie. It took in uh, roughly $330 million at the box office. It's about $730 million in 2020. So as you can see, a lot of people went to see this movie. Just not me. I waited until it came out on rental. Uh, but so much so, this was the second biggest release of the entire year in 1988, only behind Rain Man, if you can believe that. And I hardly use this detail on the show, hardly ever at all. But you guys bring it up sometimes, and I think it fits here. This is a 97% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. I usually don't care what you know the critics say, but I think it's important with this one. So it overwhelmingly had a positive sentiment for this movie. And it also won three Academy Awards. It got best film editing, best video effects, and best sound effects. So not only did people love it, and they still do, but it carried some serious accolades along top of it. And on top of that, it was owned by Disney. So it was expected. Tons of merchandise with this movie. And I believe somebody on this show, might have been Mark, over the summer had brought this up for merchandise and a hot product. So you can attest to that when you you know what this is. Maybe you do already. So we got Disney, Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment, and Robert Zemeckis. And I'm pretty sure 
you could have a movie about like a flaming bag of turds. If you had those three, they would manage to make something spectacular happen. And that's what they did here. So if you're in the mood for uh, some film noir where cartoons live amongst real people, female cartoons are drawn to develop weird fetishes when you're older, suspense, wit, comedy, CGI that was well ahead of its time, and Bob Hoskins, then Who Framed Roger Rabbit is the movie for you. It's not Star Wars. Mm. Bob Hoskins was all over Star Wars. You just didn't see it. <laughs> I, I was a little disappointed because I got my hopes up because I was thinking what Star Wars film was in the 80s. And I thought about me and Adam's favorite battle for indoor. And I was like, oh, my God, we're going to get to talk about Teak because we love Teak. But then I realized I had to look it up. And that was 87. That's like 85. First yeah, it was 87 yeah. battle. 87. A lot of people think there was only one Ewoks movie. There's and you, two. You're, you're, you're Caravan of Courage. Caravan, yeah. And then Battle for, battle for Indoor. There was two in Teak. Teak. Ugh. Wilford Brimley. Yeah, who, who drops the F-bomb, by the way, in the movie and somehow nice. got away with it. Uh, <laughs> He's got diabetes. Because he had the beat. It, yeah. <laughs> and, and if we, which, you know, like the, the odds are, the, the odds are definitely not in our favor. If we ever get attached to any Star Wars property, no matter what it is, Cheek, they're getting his ass back. We're in. bringing Teak back. Bring yeah, <laughs> that's my biggest problem. You know, everyone. Oh, they ruined Luke, or oh, no. Ray is too powerful. Our our biggest complaint is where the hell is Teak? You guys blew it. You blew it. Yeah. Right. You'll bring back yeah. the Pitroids on Mandalorian, but, but you won't bring like have Teak. Like you know, like have them go to uh to Endor. Right. Have have Mandalo- Mando go to Endor, and they're like, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to put de- put together a crew. Right. Yep. And they're like, I think we got some people for you. And then have him just go pickpocket and grab Baby Yoda or grab Mando's uh, blaster or whatever. And then Teak's right there. Done. I'll be frank. If any Star Wars property would do it, it would be them. They are in on the fan service without being too heavy. Oh, my gosh. You just see things and you're like, they did it again. First episode this season. Amazing. Right. For anyone listening who doesn't know who Teak is, he's kind of like an Ewok uh, that has the power of speed. And Mm. that's really easy to remember because he looks like an Ewok on speed who's maybe (laughs) done, you know, meth for like 20 years, like just a melted weird Ewok who can go like run really fast. I always found a strange parallel between him and the, the crazy fast gremlin from gremlins Two. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think they yeah. were like cousins or something. Well, and Baby Yoda and Gizmo are definitely spiritual Very siblings, right? Yeah. Like, yes. I mean, no question. You just shaved Gizmo, and they were like, "Here it is," right? Crossover. But, yeah, done, <laughs> done. So, but, 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 but we need to go back. We need to go back to to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Which... Yeah, to talk about the actual movie that you actually chose, <laughs> the one that we wish that you chose, that we've now talked yeah, about for like five minutes. We just completely derailed it. And we were like, so let's talk about Teak for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who framed Roger Rabbit? Oh, man. Like, I, I see, when you started talking about it, because I was thinking about it, I was like, what, what was in 1988? Like, what was such a big deal? And I remember having a Who Framed Roger Rabbit, like, um, uh, talking doll that said like 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 please eddie right and like without a doubt i don't as strange as it is if you were to pick like the most like voluptuous like coming of age 
actress animated yeah. character who cosplayers emulate all the time to this Kevin Turner's turn is like Jessica Rabbit is amazing Bob mm-hmm. Hoskins is incredible the editing is out of this out of this world like you said Robert Zemeckis it's just it doesn't get enough love it reminds me of another Amblin film I don't think a lot of people talk about E.T. anymore and I think yeah. that that's just insane and I don't understand it man who framed Roger Rabbit we had a judge about- before you go too far we had a judge this is like two years ago Mark knows where I'm going with this. Oh, yes. John Cross. I don't oh, remember God. if it was our pick. We, th- we used to do uh, tag team yeah. battles in this, too. Okay. And uh, Mark and I, we were like, oh, we got this round. I got E.T. is slam dunk. This guy, John Cross, from the <laughs> After Movie Diner podcast, completely shit all over E.T. Said it's the worst <laughs> movie, overrated. What? We're All of us sat there like, and an argument ensued where it was yeah. like, dude, what? in the fuck are you talking that's about that's just somebody trying to be contrarian right there yeah it is was actually a, a horrible movie citizen kane was actually poorly edited in my uh, <laughs> opinion it's like no f that man showing me ceilings with low angles please oh, get out been there it's called college so who, who framed roger rabbit when i when i was a, a little kid and my mom um took me to Disney World um and we, we were eating at this little diner um and there was a little go-kart a ugly looking go-kart thing that was in the corner and you could sit on it and take pictures and then above it was a picture of Bob Hoskins in uh Herbie that little car yeah. and that's what they actually sat on um and then you know they drew Herbie over it this little ugly it looked like a little four-wheeler with a crappy little seat on it and I, I remember being fascinated with that, going, wow, that's like, that was the first time, you know, when you're a little kid, you don't really think about how movies are made. You know, you don't think about yeah. like Jabba and there's actually like a bunch of puppets in there. You just think that's Jabba the Hutt or that's C-3PO. He's probably a real robot. You, you don't. And that was the first time I thought about behind the scenes, like, oh, that's cool. He was just sitting on this and then yeah. somebody else was driving it and then they edited it. So uh, that, that. For some reason, that that always stayed with me and made me want to like make movies. I know that's a weird thing to make you like go wow, but it's like that's cool. Like the idea of trickery and stuff like that. And now you know editing is is what I do for a living. So I I, I definitely have a soft spot for Who Framed Roger Rabbit because it was the first time that I I was old enough to think about that and think about there's a there's a, a level of trickery like magic you know to making movies. Right. I, I I think we might have a situation right now where like at the Oscars, you know, whenever like uh, Gina Davis and Susan Sarandon were like splitting the vote. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> I think the Star Wars, they might be doing. I, I don't know, Scott, I'm going to I'm going to hand it off to you and let you make. The, I mean, you got to make the cut on this one, man. Really? I'm, I'm too close. I'm too close to it. That's true. That's true. Um, that's true. That's you know these are this is real hard. Um, can we pick Teak? Can we pick Teak? <laughs> yeah. You know let's nope. okay. let's go with seventy seven. You know what? Especially I think that Star Wars yeah. is amazing, but what took you to the next level is the fact that you chose uh, a news article that was uh, negative. <laughs> I just love that. Burn him! Burn him! <laughs> Said the boy behind me. Stay tuned for our new show where we cover nothing but bad reviews from other people in the past. Really quickly. That's a fantastic idea. Yeah, really quickly. I, I 
my senior um my senior thesis was about star wars and it was about the empire strikes back and it was called like an empire the empire strikes back a journey into a galaxy of sexism racism and the american dream and i looked up an empire strikes back negative review and it was insane like it was just so wild how people were like this is the death of the popcorn film wow <laughs> this puppet by frank oz if you want to call him an actor and you're just like whoops like Ugh. scott said whoops yeah doesn't yeah. age well but uh but yeah so i i think you, that would i would absolutely it'd be almost like a how did this get how did this get made on the other side right i've thought about it before because of john carpenter movies and every john carpenter like tons of them like yeah. if you go back john carpenter reviews they destroy him on some that mm. i found and i'm like ah man i just want to put all these people on blast they're probably yes. all dead but yeah. or you know or right, way sure, old sure. but nah, fuck them they wrote it yeah what you do is you do dramatic readings about them, <laughs> about, about the, like the reviews. You like from the perspective of that person. And furthermore, I... we just we just did a really quick. We did um, a, a Halloween double feature drive-in um, nice. and uh, on Halloween uh, that we hosted, and that would have been great to come out and to just do like John oh, Carpenter yeah. readings, like of somebody like you said, just basically like going off in a very dramatic manner. And then being killed by Michael Myers immediately. Yeah. Like, because John Carpenter is the king. So, yeah, everything he touches turns gold, in my, in my opinion. But yeah, Love Star Wars. All Antique. right. All right. Yeah. Well, I pick up a point. Yeah. The game is now tied. We all have one point. Heading into our first two-point round. Uh, you know what, gentlemen? Uh, why don't we go over to the television round? So, for my television selection, I went with a TV movie that actually debuted November 27th. 1977. Now, this was a movie that I watched many, many times growing up. It is the absolute classic by Rankin and Bass, The Hobbit. I'm sure you guys have all seen this a hundred times. This is what introduced me in an entire generation to the work of Tolkien. I actually prefer it, the animated, to the live action one they did a few years ago. You know, oh, it's yeah. just an absolutely... Oh, yeah fantastic film Rankin and Bass did a great job with the animation I found an article that was in the Los Angeles Times November 24th 1977 and there's a quote in here it says I didn't make an educational film here I made entertainment says Arthur Rankin he and his partner Jules Bass turned out about four films a year this one was made for about three million dollars he says it is the first animated motion picture that has ever had a world premiere on television and it's the most expensive one that has ever been done. Uh, much like their Frosty the Snowman and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer Christmas specials, they hope that uh, The Hobbit will soon be an annual tradition as well. So that's my television pick, the animated classic The Hobbit from Rankin and Bass, uh, debuting on television November 27th, 1977. Mm -hmm. I have to hand this one over to Scott because <laughs> I love, because look, I love, I love Rankin and Bass. I love The Hobbit. But if if Scott's giving credit to about me for Star Wars, Scott is the the dude. Whenever it comes to I'm a bit Lord of a of ring. I'm a bit of a Tolkien. ring head. A bit yeah. of a Tolkien head. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's fascinating. I, and and I'm the same way. I saw that when I was a kid. I rented it at Blockbuster. Watched yes. it. Uh, and then uh, I checked the the books out. At I, I checked the Lord of the Rings 
books out because I wanted to find out more of the story. And, and this was in fifth grade. I lo- and you're right, you know, because there's a Lord of the Rings cartoon, and that was done by uh, Ralph Bakshke. Um, right. And then I always yep. say that wrong. Ralph. I, I said it wrong before as well. <laughs> I think Bakshi, Bakshi, Ralph Bakshi. Okay, yeah, I think yeah. it's Bakshi, and it, it's weird because the two the two companies kind of had a back and forth, right? Like uh, Rankin Bass did The Hobbit, and then Ralph yeah. Bakshi did The Lord of the Rings, and it was kind of the first two books together. It was kind of Fellowship of the Rings and Two Towers, and then Rankin Bass took it over and did um, Return of the King. So it's like, but there n- none of them ever say that they all go together. It's like, well, then why did you all choose the one right after? Very bizarre. But yeah, you're right. The Hobbit was much better than the Hobbit movies. Those Hobbit movies were not not great. As good as the Lord of the Rings movies. No. <laughs> Lord of the Rings movies are some yeah. of my favorite movies of all time. The Hobbit movies took a pretty hardcore nosedive down. Maybe if they just would have included all the singing and dancing like they did in the animated one. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> Martin, Martin Freeman, everybody was great, but it just wasn't enough to, uh, to, to bring it up. So yeah, I... Yeah. I do love that that film that might have started it all. And there's a, a Russian live action version of The Hobbit that you should watch out there. That's uh, super weird. If you're into things <laughs> that are not good, but you can, you know, Hell laugh yeah. and have fun. Uh, so, yeah, I uh, that's awesome. I love I love that version of The Hobbit. It definitely was what kind of gave me a love for fantasy for to this very day. All right, Joe Finley, what do you have for the television round? All right, well, April 1st, 1997, but this is no joke. Uh, We had the beginning of a movement for children. I mean, kids became obsessed with this then. Kids have been obsessed with this since. Kids are obsessed with this now. They used to be afraid of monsters until you learned how to train them. I give you the debut of Pokemon follows the story of Ash Ketchum, an aspiring Pokemon trainer, and his journey through the world, befriending the adorable Pikachu along the way. Um, The cards weren't actually introduced into the U.S. until the following year, so people were being exposed to this before the toys, which is actually kind of backwards for a lot of U.S. US things. Uh, Transformers, your G.I. Joes, your He-Man, stuff like that. It's always the toy and then the show... kind of like slapped together. So there was about a year removed. Uh, And to this day is a gigantic collector's item. It is a, like an expensive, you can go get this rare card, but I still see kids buying the cards today. I still see kids when I drop my kids off at school, playing the game, playing the card game. And it's just a huge thing. The show has run for over 1100 episodes. It is still on the air. Uh, It ran, it would run, 52 episodes a season, some seasons, uh, and it is available right now, both on demand and on, you know, regular TV. I being a broadcaster in children's television, I broadcast Pokemon every single day. Uh, and, uh, so I see it all the time, but this is available in 216 countries between those channels and Netflix and all these other things. So you think about the adaptation of language, you think about, uh, how many, children that this is touching and how long it has been touching them rephrase that whole thing (laughs) nope (laughs) it's like the jack black right in uh in school of rock whenever he's like i've i've been touched by your children or i've I've touched your children and i'm pretty sure they've touched me too or like you know they touched me and i'm pretty sure i've touched yeah yeah he just immediately runs out 
Like he's like, yeah. nope. <laughs> also, Pikachu, played by Ryan Reynolds, also mm. known for Deadpool and Green Lantern, got his start on Nickelodeon on a show called Fifteen. That's mm-hmm. really awful, but you should check it out. <laughs> Wow, yeah, I was working in a mall when all that stuff went down. So I was I was in the thick of it, people trying to get those cards and stuff. And like you said, you know, there's something to be to be said for something that lasts that long. I mean, what, it came out in 97 and here we are 2020 and people are still going nuts for Pokémon. And and with Pokémon like I it's like this is so so I remember going to the theater on a date because uh, the girl wanted to see the Pokemon movie, which I think was the introduce introduction of Mew or Mewtwo. And then I remember now Pokemon Go, like a couple years ago, was such a huge thing. I remember going near the University of Texas in the state capitol, like midnight, and there were hundreds of people out. Yeah. Obviously, I would not advise to do that this year <laughs> at all. But with that said, it's absolutely been a movement, right? And it's something that they, um, uh, gosh, how, is it Nantic? I'm, I'm blanking on the, the creator. Niantic, yeah. Niantic. They were the ones okay. that made that, yeah. that, that. They that. have found a way to reintroduce it to, uh, to just a new generation. And I would be willing to bet that it outlives us all. Yeah. All right, Man Crush. What did you bring for the television round? Well, uh, mine is not a cartoon, so I got that, so I'm different from you guys once again so let's go to november 30th 1988 we get the debut of a show that would only last for a single season under this title and this particular show it debuted on the disney channel but it was actually produced by nbc which might sound a bit weird probably because this is probably one of the first times it's ever occurred especially with disney being involved with this but this particular show it went through a bunch of changes in the onset. So initially NBC ran this pilot in the summer of 1987. I think it was like right around the time, like it took like facts of life slot or something one day. Although that pilot was vastly different from the actual series that NBC would produce for Disney in 1988. They had actress Haley Mills, which was on the show and initially was focused around her. And she was the only holdover from that pilot. But there were some interesting names that actually starred on the initial pilot. You had Brian Austin Green was on the initial pilot. You had the late Jonathan Brandis was on the initial pilot. And Jaleel White was on the initial pilot. However, by 1988, they were replaced when this went to Disney. And they uh, they added TK Carter and Lark Voorhees and Dustin Diamond. And Mark Paul Gossler for some reason. Uh, they were like, oh, let's let's just redo this. Uh, and you probably know where I'm going here. And you realize that this show was retooled again in 1989 when Disney canceled the show. And NBC decided to broadcast the show themselves. But this time around, they would eliminate fo- focusing the entire show around Haley Mills. Matter of fact, just getting rid of her entirely as a teacher. And would focus or refocus the show around Mark Paul Gossler and his new peers. Mario Lopez, Tiffany Amber Thiessen, Elizabeth Berkeley, and of course, Lark Varhees and uh, Dustin Diamond were still there. So this is the debut of Good Morning, Miss Bliss. And this is a show they would transform into a classic series. Everybody knows this, Saved by the Bell. And not to, like, I don't have to sell this one much. I mean, this it was an enormous show for kids at the time. 
And like I said before, even myself, who was already watching horror movies at age six because my parents were just delinquents or something, uh, I still <laughs> watched Saved by the Bell, and I liked it a lot. And when my daughter was probably like 11, she's 14 now, she binged the entire series, and she liked it, the original, uh, from the beginning, uh, Good Morning, Miss Bliss, all the way into Saved by the Bell. And then the sucker's got legs now because AC Slater and Jesse Spano, they're reviving their roles on the new series that's actually going to begin later this month on NBC's Peacock channel. So's um, Zach, Zach Morris and uh, Kelly are both back. He's the governor of California. Kelly, they're not on for every episode, though, right? It's just going to uh, be like... Not that I know of. Yeah, I think it's mainly is... Uh, Mario Lopez and Elizabeth Berkeley are going to be on all the episodes. I think there's only like 10 episodes that they did, but we'll see how that goes. But again, it all began right here with good morning, Miss bliss. Mm. All right, let's throw it down to Adam Sweeney and Scott Barber for the judgment on the television round. Wow. You know, I, I went down a rabbit hole once of Good Morning Ms. Bliss and watched all of that stuff. And uh, it is crazy how much more they focused on the teachers and then just were like, eh, never mind. Let's just get rid of them. <laughs> yeah, it's, it kind of takes back. I watched your documentary last night and it, I think they got it right because when they initially did this, you know, focusing on the teacher for a kid's show didn't really make much sense. No. And kind of like what you guys were talking about Nickelodeon with the documentary and everything. It should have been focused on the kids and the like, yeah. you know the bad yeah. kids or the cool right. kids or whatever because that's what was going on. And I think they they finally got it by the third try. They were like, wait a minute, let what are we, we doing? Something let's, that worked. Not that Ellie Mills this. isn't amazing. No, yes. she's not. She's so she's great. It's just it wasn't as yeah. good. You know no, when you got right. the kids that were the the focal point, and then you had you know Mr. Belding who became kind of like the antithesis of you know, the, the kids and yeah. it was kind of like their role model and they got rid of the individual teachers, which they right. brought back later on with boy meets world with Mr. Mm-hmm. Feeney and everything. Yeah. Right. But we didn't need that then. Cause they went into like Ms. Bliss's like love life and stuff yes. in those yeah. early ones. They, 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 they really yeah. did. Uh, yeah. They showed a lot of her life. It, it's interesting too. I tried to watch Save by the bell, uh, like the last couple of seasons all the way through with my wife. Um, and I love how they're just like continuity, we don't give a shit. Like, yeah. uh, like <laughs> Kelly will be on an episode, and then because I always remembered, I was like, oh, then who is it? Tori comes in. Yeah, yeah. There's like Kelly will be there, and then Tori will be there, and then Kelly. It's like what I remembered it as though Kelly like moved away or something, and then Tori came. They don't care at all. It's like they're back and forth. Okay, now they're off. They they did that one little bit where they were like working at like a beach resort. Uh, yeah. Yep. With Leah Romini. With, uh, right? Leah Romini. Yep. Yep. And yeah. then they're back at school. Yeah. Then they're back at the beach resort. They just were like, whatever. <laughs> like there was yeah. no, you know, it, especially this world we live in now where, uh, you know, everything is serialized where we watch shows that have one long, um, you know, like the office or breaking bad or whatever, yep. you know, we have one, you know, or whatever. We have yeah, one over. Yeah. yeah. They did not have that. You had to think of every episode as its own thing. There was no continuity overall. So, so I used to work uh, um, at a radio station, and you know, as as y'all know, like in programming, you you have, <laughs> of course, you know, you have people that come on that uh, that have made products and films and TV shows and stuff. And so we did. So, Mark Paul Gosseler and Breck and Meyer came to promote. Uh, TNT show called Franklin and Bash. Yep. And 
the line of women down the hall to mm. see Mark Paul Gosseler was absolutely insane. And <laughs> it's just ridiculous because I was like, I mean, he was Zach Morris how long ago? Yeah. And they're like, no, 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 no. Have you seen him a second ago? They're like, no, yeah. no, no, no. He's still just as good looking. <laughs> and they're like, he's not Screech, okay? Like right. we're talking Zach Morris. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, Saved by the Bell, it's while it's one of those shows that you – and you know especially i mean even good morning miss bliss but like when you take a look at it like i love that what is it the the site that's like zach morris is a is a garbage human being or something like <laughs> yeah. that. yeah oh zach morris is trash yeah. zach morris is trash it's amazing it's like everything that he does it's like you you're a uh you're a future serial killer mm-hmm. like <laughs> absolutely like you like the should... one with the handicapped girl right yeah. <laughs> Like it tricks he tried a to blind hit on girl. Kelly's little sister, yeah. <laughs> right? He like uh he the he uh with the with the First Nations person or the indigenous, right? Yeah. Like the indigenous person, he basically like co-ops his entire culture so that he can go run track really quickly. Like oh my it's, God. it's like, what the hell is wrong with you? And yet we're all like, that's the dude. But when you were when you were in middle school, that yeah, like it's not so much that you wanted to be him, but I think when you're in middle school in like you know maybe a freshman in high school or even a sophomore yeah you don't care about anybody else but yourself Fair. most kids yeah. so when you're True. watching those shows you can kind of identify with him because you're like yeah i do that <laughs> yeah. you know but then as an adult you're like oh that's douchey like what the right what the right well because it's like it's like at that point in time it's like popularity right uh coming in first place in the science fair whatever it may be and then getting the really, really hot girl or guy, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's all that matters, he right? Which is why he's kind of, yeah, exactly. If it, he checks all of them, and it's like a TV, it's like, plus he gets to do things that it's like Ferris Bueller on TV. Yeah. Right? He gets yeah. to do the things that would never be able to be done. He gets to order pizzas like Jeff Spicoli <laughs> in the class. He gets to time, freeze everybody somehow, yeah. right? And everyone's <laughs> there, uh, and we were good with it. Um, Did, didn't gosh, Screech stab is... somebody later? Didn't Screech grow up to stab somebody? Wait, I'm in real sure. life or on the show? I think so. <laughs> I think du- his name is Dustin Diamond. I think he stabbed a dude or something. Huh. Yeah, okay. he did. He was actually a guy that comes on the show a lot uh, that we're good friends with, Bo Beecraft. He actually had him for it was like a signing, whatever. Yeah. Was, do you remember what he had him on for? Was it just a signing thing, Mark, or like picture op thing? I think so, yeah. And uh, he had told us that the whole time he was just trying to get with chicks. Oh, sure. my God. That sounds right. I mean, <laughs> that, that yeah. story checks out completely. But... Yeah. I experienced that with Robert Davi at Ni- uh, from the Goonies at Niagara Falls Comedy. Oh, my God. <laughs> just the whole time he's like, check out that girl over there. He was next to Joe Pantoliano. And he just said, oh, check out that girl. I'm like, oh, geez. Easy. <laughs> You're like, I thought you were going to say that your friend got stabbed by, by uh, no. Dustin Diamond. <laughs> No, <laughs> he had it coming. With his cock. <laughs> <laughs> our uh, our producer Bill Parks that set this up. He has a story. I will absolutely not repeat it. But he has partied with Mr. <laughs> Belding before. You'll have to have him on, and maybe he'll tell the story. I we've I, tried to get him on like a bunch of times, and he kind of ignores Mr. The, Belding uh, the messages. Yeah. Dennis. How rude of me! Yeah, I should I should yeah. refer to him by his real name. That's yeah. super. That's all right. We'll call him Mr. Building. 
until he comes on the show. Yeah, and then we'll yeah, yeah. <laughs> then y'all can call him by his name. And then Samuel Screech Samuel uh, I was gonna say Screech. I was gonna say Samuel Screech Powers, then Dustin Diamond can come out and stab him with the you know with, with yeah, his with yep. <laughs> Well, I gotta say, like Lord of the Rings is one of my favorite movies. Uh Led Zeppelin is one of my favorite bands and they sing about Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings is like uh one of the first dates me and my wife went on. So I feel this time I'm too close to this one. So, Adam, why don't you choose? That's, oh, my goodness gracious. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go ahead. I'm, I'm going to, because I, I don't know why, I, I, I always cheer for the underdog. <laughs> I'm going to give this, I'm going to give this one up for, for Haley Mills. I'm going to give it up for the okay. triplets of Tori, for, uh, who were unsung heroes. So, right. we're going to go to Good Morning Miss Bliss, who probably has never won an award in their entire history. <laughs> and uh, this yeah. is the one time. Sweet. Real quick, b- before we move on, didn't even though they're the same characters, weren't they like in like Indiana or something in Ms. Bliss, and then magically were just in California for Saved by the they Bell? They just moved. Yeah, yeah. they, they don't explain moved. why. It's like okay, nah. all right. Yeah. Well, maybe that's yeah. why it checks out. I, it kind of makes well. Actually, the only thing I don't remember was it Bayshore. Did they use the same name in Good Morning Miss Bliss? That oh yeah, remember. Bayside. Maybe not. So maybe it kind of makes sense, which I never thought about before, because if it was a different school name, then it's like Zach moved. And that's why everything is. And know, Lisa. Because what? Yeah, Lisa, but why? Yeah, Lisa and, and, Screech. <laughs> and Screech were there. Never mind. <laughs> Unless they moved with it. Maybe they all moved together. They, all, they wanted to stay together. Was, yeah, they just all hopped in a, in a van like the Partridge family. And they were like, you know what? We're, it's a manifest destiny. Let's go west. <laughs> my friends also in that movie uh there's a movie where zach and kelly finally got married uh yeah. and zach definitely gets a job as a male escort in that and doesn't tell his wife but oh. yet it's still a love story <laughs> that we're supposed to all root for them so that makes sense remember the college years oh, oh yeah. yes oh yeah with uh who was it with uh was it uh bob golick yeah, Bob Golick, who I always think is Lyle Alzado. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see yeah. that. And then that, guy, and then the guy who I his name is escaping me, but he's in uh, Better Call Saul now. He's that lawyer, uh, but he was the teacher who was having like a relationship with Tiffany T. Oh wow, Bob Odenkirk. No, not Bob Odenkirk. He's the guy who's like the head. Yeah, he's like the the lead partner in the uh, in the big. Oh, okay, yeah. And he looks like is. the same. He hasn't aged yeah. a day. He must I be forgot, vegan. Beautiful. I forgot man. about the college years with Bob Golick. <laughs> the he's the other other white meathead that you're that you're yeah. thinking about. <laughs> it's plug and play. Plug yeah. and play. Yeah, pretty much. Rest in peace, Lyle Azedo. Yeah, for real. Yeah. All right, man, crush. You jump out to a lead heading into our final round. All right. I, you know what? Since I got the opportunity, I will defer my round, but I must say before uh, we go anywhere, you guys are great judges. Uh, the enthusiasm and everything else. I love it. Uh, you guys can come back anytime you want, Thank but uh, saying that I'm going to pitch this one over to Joe first. All right, let's do it. I'm going to tell the story of a woman down on her luck and she was, she took a job as a uh, substitute teacher to make some money while she was trying to achieve her dream. And that dream was to become a writer. And even while she was writing or while she was teaching her class, she would take out her notebooks and write her character sketches out and do all these different things. And 
after quite some time, she made a whopping 2,500 pounds as an advance towards the book that she had written. And that book was released on June 26, 1997, and it was called Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. J.K. Rowling's beginning of dominating literature uh, for the next decade or so to come and still just selling books on books on books. Um, interesting little uh, tidbits about it is she obviously wrote it under her name, Joanne Rowling. She does not have a middle name. And the publishers told her that women can't sell children's books. A, a female author cannot sell a children's book. So they told her to hide her first name by using her initials. She didn't have initials, so she used K uh, for her mother's first name. And that's where that came out now. We can talk about the legacy of this movie forever. It obviously came out and became a seven-book series. It became an eight-movie series. Uh, then spotted, uh, you know, um, spun off into a whole Wizarding World where there are two movies into another five-movie series, if we ever get the rest of those ones made. And we can, uh, you know, they have Pottermore, which is the gigantic online world that they've created for Harry Potter fans, Harry Potter World at Universal. Uh, but the book itself being a hot product, it is the third highest-selling book of all time behind the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. And think about like, it only has about 20 million less copies sold than those ones. And those ones have a 45 and 60 year head start on her. Damn. So that's saying something. And obviously I'm keeping um, the Bible and Quran out of this book sales thing. I'm talking just about, you know, just regular. So she'd be fifth. Then she'd be fifth. <laughs> so she'd, she'd still be doing fine. Uh, she is the highest, uh, she is the richest, uh, author in history now, mm. toppling everybody, toppling Stephen King and all those sort of things. The books, the series itself has sold more than 500 million copies worldwide. I mean, it was a phenomenon then. It remains a phenomenon now. I mean, I'm in the middle of decorating my daughter's room in Harry Potter. I bought the um, Deathly Hallows wand uh, display. And, you know, she dressed as Her Hermione Granger for Halloween this year. It it's just one of those, like, once-in-a-lifetime events. And it just started all in 1997 with the Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Sorcerer's Stone, two of my American friends. Man, I... I'm just, I, I'm blown away, like, because cause I forgot that it came out in 1997, right? Yeah. Like, I had heard about it, like, about three years later. And you're right. Like, if you think about cultural touchstones, there's Star Wars, and then there's, and there's Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, right? And then there's, it's got to be Harry Potter, I would think. Yeah. have to be, like, if you were doing, like, kind of, like, the big three, uh, and... To, to, I mean, she is amazing. And I didn't know that. I, I don't know. I don't have a lot of Harry Potter knowledge. Scott, like I, Scott may have more, more than me, but I think that that's, a, I love those little like tidbits of like information, you know, and, and the fact that she like followed her dream and found a way to make it happen is, yeah. is pretty damn impressive in its own right. So that is super cool. I love that. I, I I didn't know a lot about her either, but I did know the whole story of her struggling, everyone thinking she can't do it, she wasn't making any money, and then all of a sudden, you know, like, even though she's not American, like, that's the American dream, right? To do something and then have it be this big, huge success. So 
she's definitely an inspiration for everybody. So I, I give it up to that. And Harry Potter is huge at my house. I'm not as much into it, but like my wife and kids love Harry Potter. Uh, so yeah, you, you can't, you cannot deny the magic. Like Adam said, you know, Lord of the Rings, that's been around for, what, are we at a hundred years? It's been around for a long time. Uh, and then, um, you know, uh, Star Wars. It was cool to have a new one. You know, you think, oh, are, are we going to see any more of these? And then you did. You know, that was definitely right. cool to have somebody else join the ranks of, of, of that. So, yeah. It's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time before we get a biopic about her, right? Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. Emma Thompson, the, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Laura Lenny, Somebody will play her pretty soon. Yeah. I, I would bet. I would put money on that in the next ten years. Yeah. Maybe give it a little bit more time, but it'll happen. Yeah. There's a very corny kind of TV version that stars Poppy Mar- uh, Poppy oh, Montgomery wow. okay. as J.K. Rowling. And that's actually, and uh, that was where I first kind of gained any kind of purview of J.K. Rowling, the writer. You know, and to me, it was just, it was a book and it was J.K. Rowling. And I'm like, oh, and I see a picture of her one time. I'm like, oh, that's J.K. Rowling. That was the end of it. And then you start hearing about these stories. So then you start reading it yourself because you're not trusting this weird TV movie <laughs> to be your, your sole source of information. But uh, yeah, it's it, it's corny, but I would say like the first half hour of it is a, is a worthwhile hmm. look into what her life was before Harry Potter came into her world. Cool. I'll, yeah, I'll definitely watch it. That's awesome. Thank you. All right, gentlemen. Uh, so for my hot product, you know, this is a product whose legacy kind of speaks for itself. So I don't have to go into too much detail. But if you look on the Internet, dates for the release for this kind of all over the place. Most places say October or just fall of 1977. So, of course, I went over to newspapers.com and I found an advertisement in the Los Angeles Times. August 18th, 1977. And the three-quarter page ad starts off with the headline, We have it first, a video game you won't get bored of playing with over 100 ways to play. How could you? It's Atari, the new video game computer system, and it's available now at the Broadway. It gives you more ways to play than any other system available, and the games are the same ones you'd play at an amusement arcade. Just change the cartridge, and you have a whole new set of games that you can play. Wow. So I then went ahead 10 days and I found another advertisement from a uh, another retailer that I don't think we bring up enough on this show, and that's Bradley's. Yeah. Great old department store, staple of my youth. B-R-A-D-L-E-E-S. Bradley's. Yes. Ah. <laughs> Two-E's. So they have a uh, an advertisement in here for the uh, Atari. The Atari's video computer system, $159.99 says new challenging tv game not a toy <laughs> but an advanced system that accepts game program cartridges hmm. with the comparable ease of eight track tapes quote unquote combat cartridge included has 27 action pack game variations other exciting game program cartridges regularly 1999 to 1799 watch future ads for new games and additional functions of the video computer system. And of course, the TV is not included. Now, there is one picture in this ad for the Atari 2600 or the Atari video computer system, as it was originally called, that kind of hooked me on this. I have no clue what they are showing in this advertisement. Hang on, let me see if I can send this to you guys in the uh, 
chat here. Are you talking about what's in that hand? Yes. All right. So what the picture describes is it shows the Atari hooked up to a, a television like you'd see in most ads. Mm-hmm. And then next to it, there's two little squares, and it's a diagram showing you how you'd put the cartridge into the Atari. Well, the second one is of an open palm with something that resembles a VHS tape, but the size of a quarter in the palm of the hand. (laughs) I have no clue what that would be. Hmm. It looks like they're trying to make you think that an Atari cartridge is no bigger than a quarter. Hmm. (laughs) That would be something. The funny thing is I'm not in the studio tonight. I'm in my basement, and I'm looking at this on a 13-inch screen about I don't know, five feet from me, and it looks like he has a a deer turd in his hand. <laughs> that was the original name of Atari that they were going to go with. They were like, it's the all new deer turd. Yes. And with paddled wood. Yeah. <laughs> Sold. And that was the end. Go ahead, Scott. What do you what do you think? Like you're I know Scott's a huge gamer. Yeah, well, vintage gamer specifically. Yeah, and my brother, I have a brother that's seven years older than me, so we had an Atari, and it was big in our house. And I love how Atari is kind of like the story of Icarus, who flew too close to the sun and had his wings melt off and crashed and burned. They They were the only player at the table, right? And then they started letting everybody make games, and they started making too many games. Of course, the big one that always gets brought up is... E.T. E.T. That's the one where people finally were like, I've had enough of this. The quality of games was so low. And, you know, every Atari game, I don't know if you guys have played an Atari recently, but all the cartridges look different because they really they were letting anybody make these games. The Parker Brothers games, I like the they would look fancy. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. And yet that little lip on them. They did. Yep. And so then, you know, people got sick of it. And, you know, there's a huge chasm somewhere out in the middle of the desert where all the E.T. cartridges are are buried. (laughs) And and Atari, you know, they they single-handedly kind of created the home video game console and also completely destroyed that market single-handedly as well. You got to give it to them. And then, you know, they kind of taught everyone that came after them what to do. And more importantly, they taught everyone else what not to do. Because, you know, when you see Nintendo coming out, they wouldn't let anybody. If anybody else was going to make games, all their third-party developers, they, Nintendo had to be included. They they had to make them on... Nintendo had to sell you the cartridge that you could then make it on. So all the cartridges looked exactly the same. You had to make it to Nintendo's uh, specs. So, uh, yeah, I... I I, I Atari is a is a is a is a big deal <laughs> for lack of a better term. They're they're a huge deal, and I certainly that that weird black. It almost looked like Darth Vader's helmet, but with the wood paneling, that brings back a lot of nostalgic memories for me. Uh, I just bought my brother an Atari for uh, last Christmas, so yeah, Atari. All right, man crush, why don't you wrap up this game? What do you have for the hot products round? Well, I do have an Atari 2600 in the room right next to me mm. uh, that's going to go in the studio with we're with my uh, TurboGrafx-16 and the Genesis and the NES and everything else. Um, and that was the first gaming system I ever had. I think we got it in like 82. And I had a million games because by that point, all the games were shit, like you were saying. And uh, there was this place, <laughs> Lloyd's Supermarket, around the corner from me. And... Uh, 
all the games were discounted. I, they were, I don't know the exact price because I was little, but I want to say they were less than five bucks. And my, my parents would just buy them for me if I brought them up to them. And I had at least 100 games for that thing. And half of them I never played because they were awful games. But this, this game right here that I have from June of 1988, not awful. Not an awful game. Uh, and unlike the Atari 2600 that crashed and burned, this did not. All right. Uh, this is a staple of my childhood right here and my adult years for that matter. I was an absolute beast at this game until it hit Xbox. And then I was getting my shit pushed in by 11 year olds no, calling no. me a pathetic loser <laughs> on Xbox Live. However, back in the heyday of computer games, I was completely hooked on electronic arts games. And initially, this game was released in 1988 on the Apple II. Uh, but nowadays, this title is available on everything. Um, we're talking about a football game here. Uh, however, unlike games that we're used to now, this version actually have didn't have like players or team names associated with the game. They lacked the licensing that they have today. This is in 1988. EA was not what they are today. And uh, since computer storage was limited, you didn't have a season mode or anything like that. However, it was pretty customizable for 1988 compared to the other games that are around. You could create teams. You can, and this was the coolest part that I liked. You can make your own plays. Like there was a playbook and this shit was high level plays, but you can make your own. You can select the weather conditions. You can customize how long the quarters were. These were not things you got in stereotypical football games in 1988 or years before before that uh of course i still went and made the jets uh probably the only way i'd ever get to see them win a super bowl um but one of the things i loved about this game was you actually got to see stats so there was nothing like you know doing a game and trying to rack up like three or four hundred rushing yards uh in one game and uh, initially this game it was focused around strategy and the analytics of the sport itself uh, electronic arts they they tried for years in the early 80s to get players attached to this game they tried with joe montana but he was already talking to atari they they talked to uh i forgot what his name was he was a coach of cal at the time and they couldn't pay him what he wanted for the game which is absolutely crazy um but they kept going down the line asking people and asking people until they landed on my boy john madden and uh, when they got Matt involved, he was he was enthralled with this entire idea of this game. But he wanted to use a game as a coaching tool. And that's why this initial version was like so analytical. If you look at the play design and everything else, especially for 1988, it'll blow your mind how it's set up. And it's as a 10 year old, it was I was like, what am I looking at? Like football players do this. This is insane. But after like playing it for a while, I got good at it and started playing, uh, doing games. And I actually coached football for a while. And I think it was because of this. Uh, but this was 1984 when those those talks with John Madden actually began. So the development of this game took nearly four years before it was released. And the reason for that, and Madden almost walked away because of this. EA told Madden, they were like, it's impossible to do an 11 on 11 game. Uh, they were like pitching to him like six on six, seven on seven, but they were like 11, 
that's impossible. And he was like, well, if you can't do 11 on 11, I'm out. And uh, so now it took three and a half, four years before this game actually came out, but they got it to 11 on 11. And it did make the game incredibly slow to play at the time. But if you were into the details and you're into, it was almost like a role playing game for sports in 1988 when you were playing the sucker. But you know what? 41 different renditions or so. There might be a couple that I, I don't remember. This game prints money these days. Like, you don't even need currency. They just make currency after this. This game is insane. So it's a damn good thing that they met John Madden's demands. Here's the release of John Madden football, June of 1988. Boom. Wow. And it's like, wow. So so I, I can speak like and say... So some of my background, I used to be a journalist for like SI and ESPN, and we all the time talked about Madden. And, you know, to this day, there, I remember reading an article probably about two, three months ago, um, although it's COVID, so it could have been 25 years ago for all I know. (laughs) So true. Right. But they talked, but they talked about how Madden is making smarter spectators of football now. Because now that you're playing, when you play the game, you're studying all the schemes, right? And the NFL has adopted so much of it. They, I don't know if they do it this year, but they, other years, they've integrated Madden into it, right? Into the game itself. When you watch ESPN, they specifically talk about, like, they'll do projections of the games, right? All the time, like the Super Bowl and the playoffs. And, um, you know, it's, it's become so iconic. I, I mean, uh, yeah, as, as a, a gamer on the other side and Scott, I don't know, like if you played Madden as much, um, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe you have, we haven't talked about it a lot, but mm-hmm. it's without a doubt, one of the greatest gaming franchises of all time. I mean, it's, and it's a no brain. And to think that it is yeah. based upon like a coach from the seventies who ended yeah. up becoming <laughs> a commentator, Right. Like is yeah. incredible, but it was that type of insight and that type of detail that you had to have for the game to be special. And now that's, those are the elements that are being judged now. Right. But you know, in the new game, when you see the preview of Lamar Jackson jumping and kind of crossing the pot, like reaching out for the pylon, you know, that type of like real life, like kind of animate, like um, I guess you would say uh, like animation is what you want from the game which is why you know ea adopted that right they would say like if it's in the game it's in the game right right um yeah madden is amazing and i don't even play the game anymore when i play Madden. <laughs> i just like playing like franchise mode right yeah, yeah and I just exactly. you could be the gm it. right which is so fun right and i hope that one day they actually update it again and you know because like you said it prints money so they don't have to do it but at the same time, um, you know, it was a literal and pardon the pun. It was it was a game changer. Yeah. And, and then, yeah, this for- this changed EA Sports, too, because like they did have Earl Weaver's baseball that came out like a year oh. or two before this. But like that, I mean, that didn't have the legs of this. Like without this, you wouldn't have electronic arts still making games. This right. is well, electronic arts. I mean, I wouldn't you know, I wouldn't call call it too soon. I mean, Earl Weaver's baseball. <laughs> <laughs> it, may, <laughs> it could yeah it may still have its day earl weaver's baseball had nothing on hardball three 
<laughs> Hardball is the shit. Hard Do you remember bases loaded? Oh yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. I always tried to do the brawl. Like it was like a certain like you had to the beat That's and it right. never yeah. happened. It never happened. I was like, this is BS because Nintendo Power told me it could happen. And I, I, I liked how the the uh, the EA Sports Genesis cartridges looked a little different than everybody else's. Do you yeah. remember that they kind of had a little yeah. yellow tab? The yellow yeah. tab. And I, I looked up uh, why that was, and it was like EA Sports just knew they could do whatever they wanted. Like Sega wanted to do what Nintendo did, where all their cartridges had to look the same, and EA is like. Now nah, we're gonna make them like this because you need us, and so you know they. I love that they knew they had the power because really EA is what put uh, the Genesis on the map. You know that Nintendo was kicking Sega's ass, and and once Sega kind of developed that that uh, kind of reputation as being a little cooler, a little a little more for older kids, uh, and it was really their relationship with EA that that you know gave them that that helped that it it was mutual for them too because it took it took the analytics away from the game and made it an arcade style with the analytics involved right yeah i i think also like you know you you know nick you were talking about like the jets i remember when i forgot what year it was but i remember playing madden with uh, whenever i was staying over at my cousin's house and I remember playing, you talk about like a never living to see a team win a Super Bowl. I played with the Houston Oilers uh, <laughs> against the Green Bay Packers. And I remember it was like five seconds left in the game. And we accidentally hit <laughs> halfback draw. And we were like 70 yards away from like the end zone. And we were like, halfback, what the hell? No, 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 no. We were like, call timeout, call timeout. And we're like, we have no timeouts. We're fucked. We got nothing. And... <laughs> By God, if Alonzo Highsmith did not <laughs> high step his way to Super Bowl glory, we still talk about it to this day. Uh, I'm I, I I know this is probably a, a surprise to you, but uh, you know I, I and Scott we we never made it past high school athletics. Um, so Madden has given us many many opportunities to live out those dreams. So thanks to John Madden. Uh, thank you to EA sports for everything they've done. Yeah. It's, it's so amazing. I love that game. Like I said, though, now you pay, you, you can go online, you play like a nine-year-old and they just know all the little intricacies of the game yeah. and your ass gets sacked. Like every play, mm. you're like, where the, where did that guy come from? It's infuriating. It's, yeah. Oh, it's insane, but it's still fun. But yeah. Still amazing. Still amazing, but uh, also a reminder that uh, a, a reminder that uh, a lot of these games are now being mastered by the by the youth. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. well, let's get on Tecmo Bowl, and then I go and get my ass kicked. Also, but, but, oh, that was a great one too. I thought you were going to say Tecmo Bowl. I thought you were going to say Tecmo Bowl. Tecmo Bowl, I did love, dude. The Raiders and Tecmo Bowl, Bo Jackson, absolute domination. But you only had four plays. <laughs> right you know yeah right you had a 25 person you had a 25 percent chance every time again that shit shut down like, yeah. every, yeah. every time or, or going 90 yards for touchdown yeah yeah but no in terms of legacy for sure it's got it's got to be i mean it's got to be madden so man this is this might be the toughest choice i think of the entire night uh um, yeah we got harry potter atari and madden, madden. jeez oh my god <laughs> Scott, like I, I might, I might just have to, I might have to defer, man. I'm I like, don't know, man. That's uh, that's really tough. 
Um, I don't know, man. The Atari kind of started the way for everything else video game related. Do we do we do a coin flip? Because Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Joe brought props. <laughs> ah, we're gonna get is, we're gonna get Leviosa. That's the Elder One. <laughs> oh my God, is that the Elder One? Oh, it's the Elder One. Of course, it's the Elder One. Oh, geez. Okay. All right. Okay. You just do it. Just do it. Just do it. That's, I can't. I can't pick. Just do it. We're gonna. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Harry Potter. I'm gonna go Harry Potter because we got props, and I appreciate. <laughs> I appreciate a good visual aid. So. <laughs> Uh, so we're going to pick Harry Potter. We're going to pick Harry Potter on this. Props one. always um, help. Yeah. Yep. All right, Joe. You know what that means? You've tied up this game with Man Crush, and we have to go to a final wild card round. Is it sad that I that those are the ones that belong to me? <laughs> Not those are my daughter's <laughs> ones. This was this was what this is one I of my just, three wands. I have Voldemort's wand, Snape's wand, no, and this. Hold on, one. hold on. All right. So you're looking right. over like. At, like before Rise of Skywalker, I had to like with the five. I'm a, like I'm a member of the five hundred first, right? And so like the like so I had to like get a custom my my Kylo Ren blade custom made like to make sure. So no, it's not too much. Um, if anyone tells you it's too much, uh, tell tell them large barge sent you. Tell them that Adam <laughs> that Adam Sweeney said it's not, and they'll go. I have no idea who the hell that is. <laughs> I, I never thought that this episode would devolve into Joe and Adam comparing uh, sizes Wands. of their walls. <laughs> yeah. so. I see your swart is much is as big as mine. Right. That means I have to pull out mine. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> All right, man crush. So we got to go to a final wild card round. Why don't you start us off with your selection? All right, quick banger. Uh, I mentioned this before. I could have picked this for the music round, but like I said before, happy wife, happy life. So I went with New Kids on the Block. But in this one, I'm going to go Weird Al Yankovic, even worse. It was uh, released the day before my 10th birthday on April 12th, 1988. So that's where I'm going. Wow. Solid pick. All right, Joe Finley, what did you bring for the wild card round? All right, well, I'm going to take you to June of 1997. Uh, if you back up three years, uh, three titans in entertainment came together to build their own company, and that was Steven Spielberg, Jeffrey Katzenberg, and David Geffen. They created DreamWorks SKG. But 1997 was when the first DreamWorks films were released. Uh, among them were The Peacemaker, Amistad, not the kids parts. And, <laughs> and then, uh, and then Mouse Hunt was their first family film. And then obviously DreamWorks goes on to actually be a viable Disney contender, maybe one of the first ever as far as family film and animation is but concerned. What did they do in 97? What did they do in 97? They released their first, they released their first films. Right, in, wait, wait. Well, which kids film did they release in 97? Mouse Hunt. All right. So we're Mouse Hunt versus even worse. All right, so let's go down to Adam Sweeney and Scott Barber for the final ruling on this game. You talk about Saved by the mm. Bell. <laughs> don't, hey, don't don't sleep on Nathan Lane's performance in in Mouse Hunter. Uh, Scott, what do you what uh what are your thoughts, man? So it's even worse by Weird Al versus Mouse Hunt, but also the keeping into consideration what DreamWorks would become, right? 
I love me some Weird Al. I got to say that Weird Al is amazing. And I, so that album had uh, what? His Fat, right? That was the main. Fat, Lasagna. Uh, and there was a third single, but I can't think of the third one off the top of my head. Yeah. Track listing right here. Yeah. We had uh, Fat, Stuck in a Closet with Vanna White. This yes. song is just six <laughs> words long. You make me. I think I'm a clone now. <laughs> Lasagna. Melanie Alimony. Remember the Alimony. Velvet Elvis <laughs> Twister Good Old Days. Oh my gosh. What you think, Adam? That's that's a beast. I mean, fat whenever he blew up into that that fat see you ain't fat you ain't fat you ain't nothing and didn't you get the same guys from michael jackson's bad like he he literally got those same guys that were in the beginning of the bad music video yes yeah it was the same set same guys everything it was amazing yeah. and fat won the the grammy award for best concept music video oh my god <laughs> which is incredible yeah it also it also made it into the Billboard Hot 100. Like, I, I mean, this was this was like the beginning of a lifetime legacy, right? Like, it's yeah. like Kelly Clarkson said, like, some people wait a lifetime for a moment like this. Like this, yeah. So, <laughs> I think we got to go. I think we got to go with yeah. Weird Al's even worse. Even worse for the win. Yeah. All right, man, Chris, you pick up another win that's two in a row. That's actually four in a row. What? That's four in a row? Damn. Yeah. Jeez. I'm fucking racking up now after, <laughs> like, I had that dry spell for a while. I'm back. Dude, Three. you need to, you need to like, if Pat Riley trademarked the three-peat, you got to get on that, whatever you would be called, the four, whatever. I don't know what it would be four called. Four-peat? Four yeah. Pete. We got to come up with something better than four Pete. We'll figure it out. Pete, Pete, and repeat. There you go. Yes. Love it. That's it. Done. Joe is trademarking it right now as we speak. I've got it. I've got it. Joe, Joe's like, you mother. You son of a bitch. Oh my God. <laughs> you, you minimized my, my starting of DreamWorks pictures into the mouse Because I knew where you were going. I was like, this guy's trying to, no, he's wheeling it back. No. It was the start of a company. Yeah, yeah but it's really that, not. That's yeah. a gigantic company. You can't. Ah, come on. You can't go backwards. Okay. <laughs> no, but no. Dream DreamWorks Pictures started in '97. Yeah. But you got to go with 90s. DreamWorks SKG was the whole mm. company. They were releasing okay. one thing at a time. It was DreamWorks TV, then DreamWorks Music, then DreamWorks Pictures, which came out in '97. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. 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 It's still that's weird, convinc- Al. Okay. Yeah, that's convincing. That. I know we're after the I know we're after the after the bell, right? Like uh but that that's a yeah. good that's a good one. Oh no, don't get me wrong. Weird out <laughs> wins. I pick weird out. I, I feel like Joe, you were really uh you you started at an extreme disadvantage here because I mean, you know, you got the, the late seventies and the mid eighties, those were great times. And the late nineties, I mean, I just think about that band like New radicals, you know, like what was that? Like Courtney Love and Marilyn Manson. Say that because we might have that guy as a guest or something. Oh yeah, (laughs) amazing. And yeah, they said you think about that guy, and it's wonderful. And it's amazing. (laughs) Like remember that late '90s, like Woodstock that happened, that was just like a debacle, right? 
Yeah, like that's yeah. Like the 90s were a decade that for me, and again, this is just me personally, started so strong with like yeah. the whole like Death Row Records and then also like Nirvana and all that awesome music and then just ended so, with, you know, Kid Rock. <laughs> and Cisco. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It did get weird. It's it's one of those things on this game, too, and I, Mark and I have been doing this for years, where in the very beginning when we did this, do you remember how many times the 90s lost to the 80s? Because we used to just be 80s versus 90s. Oh, yeah. And there was a streak where it was like an entire year where yeah. the 90s won like five episodes. Mm. But yes. then it changed. I mean, once people started digging up, more stuff and like going really deep if you look at the 90s it's big for other things like if you look at the internet yeah yeah and you can find the important things uh you know like websites it started and things like that yeah it blows the 80s away with technology you just got to find the right thing and i think but first off like this game like this is awesome like this is so cool like i love i love everything about it so y'all do y'all do amazing second um larissa olenic I, I don't think I don't think it makes it made it didn't make it into into the film, but we talked to her a little bit, uh, you know, afterwards, and she came to the she can't she's so she's so cool, and we were talking to her at the at the festival when we premiered at Doc NYC, and we were talking about like oh my gosh, you know that must be so awesome that you're Alex Mack, right? Like that like how cool to be that child, like you know, and and she goes, uh, it wasn't cool for a while like she yeah. was like yeah. there was the long period where it sucked to be alex mack you, you know and it's yeah. kind of like like i think about that and i think about bands like even new kids on the block right or like hansen or maybe even the spice girls yeah. right i'm sure there was a time around like 10 years afterwards right or maybe five years before it became cool again that it hadn't had time to breathe enough and yeah. that it was just like, man, this sucks to be handsome, right? And then they grew up, right? Like, and then, or like when New Kids on the Block, like their fans grew up and had disposable income. And then they were like, okay, we're going because I had a crush on Donnie or Jordan. <laughs> right, Brown. right. You know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah. It's so cool. Now those people, they're all in. They make tons of money. Like yeah. New Kids on the Block has a damn cruise. Oh, my oh God. yeah. Why well, you? they did prior to, prior to COVID. They yeah. had a cruise. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, shit's wild. Why, why wouldn't it's, you though? It's right? absolutely nuts. Like, I mean, because because yeah. other, I mean, Donnie Wahlberg, you know, who has had a decent acting career, right? I mean, he was in Saw and in some, I think, CBS shows mm -hmm. and stuff. Like, he was in yeah. Six Sense. Like, Six Sense. He's, yep. Yeah, blood. There you go. He's he's a good. He's legitimately like he's a you good know, actor. Good, yeah, good actor. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're if you're you know if you're uh, who is it? There's there's Jordan. There's John. Right, Jonathan. Yeah. Like, yes. If you're Jonathan, like, and I don't know, maybe for all I know, he probably is actually like has accomplished a million times more than than you know, yeah. like maybe we ever will. But like behind the scenes or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm terribly embarrassed to know this, but it's he had crippling anxiety. Uh, yeah. He actually stepped out of the limelight. Okay. That's why he doesn't. That's but why he, he doesn't. He's back. still involved. Yeah. He, he came, came back. back, but he the, okay. he stepped when they kind of were on yeah. their back end, like yeah. in that period. That's why okay. he stepped away. 
yeah, I don't think I don't think it's embarrassing to know that stuff, man. Like uh, y'all are like yeah. pop culture. I mean, like that that's what officiating yeah, exactly, right? Like I'm like I'm like that is just yeah. ridiculous. As you see me like over <laughs> here with my like Nike shoe dog book, right? Or like my like Rilo, you know what I mean? It's like yeah, I, we're the last people to. <laughs> yeah, we made a whole documentary about Nickelodeon. Like we're we're cool with knowing a lot about that stuff. Oh, Gizmo, my Gizmo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah by the way this weekend real quick i remember like we were whenever we were getting ready to do the drive-in i was trying to find my michael myers like 2018 mask because we did a dress up and everything and i like pulled out this duffel bag from my from my i pulled up a duffel bag from my trunk and i opened it up and i was like is it in here and i just randomly pulled out like an alf doll from like the 80s <laughs> yes <laughs> the talking yeah i was like when 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 did i okay (laughs) speaking of gizmo don't you have an autograph you have the autograph one right from scott do you still have that from um from billy yeah that you got me yeah like that was awesome oh nice yeah um yeah like uh what's his name zach galligan yeah zach galligan yeah oh man i'd love to get him on the show we actually had uh michael winslow was on here who was the voice of some of these gremlins and he dude while we're i'm giving the pick and I had gremlins. He was doing in the background. He was making the noises of the gremlins. Yeah, it was it was oh, wild. That's amazing. It was completely surreal. He he was wonderfully distracting. <laughs> you know, every time you try to talk, he would he'd be nailing something. And you're just like, this is the best. He had a microphone that was like this big that he would just like put yeah. his head in and start making noises. It was wild. That's so cool. So cool. Remember how his character Billy hung out with Corey Feldman. Like it was like a 15, yeah, 16 year old kid, like hung mm-hmm. out with like an eight year old. Like that's interesting. I don't quite get that either. Yeah. That, now that you talk about it. Cause at it, first right? I was like, it's his little brother. And then it's like, Oh no, it's just a random neighborhood kid. Who's like hanging out. Yeah. Oh, well. And it's not even his neighbor. It's just somebody from the right. neighborhood. That's right. The same yeah. school, right. <laughs> no. yeah. Billy's not in well, school. Billy worked at a bank. Yeah. So like, <laughs> He's like a grown-up, basically. Yeah. He's that much of a loser <laughs> that he has to hang out with little yeah. kids. Yeah, because Corey Feldman, he yeah. looks like maybe seven, something like that in that face. He's like a, he's like a little yeah. kid. And he's... Yeah. The 80s loved an age difference, though, because think about Doc Brown and uh, Marty. Yeah. Like, how did that <laughs> happen? Weird. It's not like he was his teacher or some shit. That's another podcast that could be started. Yeah. Well, he did have a van and some candy. <laughs> Questionable friendships. <laughs> the biggest one Adam and I always bring up is how Michael Jackson would always walk around with Emmanuel Lewis, like, on his yes! hip. And no one thought that was weird. And Emmanuel Lewis is like, that's not his child and i think emmanuel lewis was not even really that little he's like 13 and he'd walk around <laughs> holding him at events like yes like a purse and everyone yeah. was like oh that's it's just the 80s that's what we that's like what oh, we do yeah. people held emmanuel lewis it was fine, it was fine. just walk around with webster if, if... stronger people carried gary coleman <laughs> george papadopoulos did not like that no, he did not. He did not approve <laughs> at all. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, we, we, uh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, he took him to the Grammys. And it's yeah. like, yeah. what the hell's wrong with you? Like, like nobody just yeah. walks around with a, with a grown person on their arm. Just like, yeah. But Michael could do nothing wrong then. Right. Like, Emmanuel Lewis the whole time's like, I wanted to say no, don't do this, but it's Michael Jackson. <laughs> it's Michael Jackson. I had to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's so many there's so many questionable things like even goonies we, yes. we bring up you know the Corys and cory feldman in there 
he ends up, what are they in like eighth grade, maybe in middle school, maybe even late elementary school. And he ends up, it's a, a deleted scene, but doesn't he make out with uh, the girl with the glasses? I forgot yeah, what her yeah, name yeah, was yeah, in yeah, the movie. Yeah. When they were in the water. Yeah, yes. Like, yep. So many weird yeah. things. There's a yeah. lot in the eighties that happened. Like you said, like questionable relationships, like it's like a license to drive, right? Where they're just yeah. like, like Mercedes Lane gets drunk. And they're all of a sudden just like, <laughs> and her boyfriend's like thirty five. He's like oh, the guy thirty five like, year old I'm, Italian dude. The guy was like, I'm beginning to perspire, <laughs> right? And he's just like, here, take her. And you're like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. yeah. Same thing in Adventures in Babysitting. She's in high school and she's dating a guy who's a senior in college. <laughs> oh, weird. Or even even Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Like it's like what. Yeah. Like Jennifer Jason Lee's character, it's like that's rape. That's just fuck. Yeah. Like, like yeah. And he he gets her pregnant. And he's just like yeah. Revenge of the Nerds, oh, another yeah. rape. Oh yeah, Revenge oh, my of the God, Nerds, dude. Yeah, and it's like, oh well, he's wearing a Darth Vader mask. Eh. Yeah. Boy, we actually had a guy in our. We had uh, it was before Wormser came on, but we had posted yeah. something about. Uh, Revenge of the Nerds, and we had somebody in our Facebook group tell us that the movie was a piece of shit because he was like, oh, I don't like any movie that pushes like rape like it does. And I was like, yeah. 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 It's, I mean, it's bad, but like, I don't think they were going for that. In the movie's defense, if you follow the, uh, I guess, trilogy, quadrilogy, because there's like four of them, they do end up getting married and having a kid together. So. Well. Yeah. Well, and in the movie's defense, like, who else can can match uh, Lamar's limp-wristed throwing style? <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> no one. So it was very. Uh, I mean, it was very inclusive for yeah. back then. I would counter. No, maybe maybe not. Maybe not. But <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard. It's when, still fun as hell. Yeah, when that guy brought that out, I was Come like, on, okay. Man. <laughs> I was like, it's bad, but I have no argument for it. I was like, okay, all right. Well, all right. well when when we did our commentary for for my show about it, we we titled the episode "If Bill Cosby oh. Was a College." <laughs> pretty Ooh. much, pretty much, right? <laughs> but it's it's it does. I mean, it's like you don't you can't excuse it, but at the same time, there are things yeah. that you watch like back in the day where you're just like, yeah, okay, like they, you know, it's mm. not that they didn't know better. It's just like this was a this was yeah. a commentary this. on that time period, right? Yeah. Like Porky's yeah, was right. a thing. Absolutely. Like you can, mm -hmm. and if you, and, and yeah. if you say, Hey, look, like this is not cool at all. That's just, I mean, that's, that's okay. Right. Just don't watch it. But at the yeah. same time, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you could say the same thing about star Wars, right? Even though like, even though princess yeah. Leia, like obviously is like a great, well, at the beginning, she's a great like icon, by the time that you get to the return of the Jedi, right. It's just like, it's a joke. You know what I mean? And so, you yep. know, I don't know. Like you just, yeah. I, yeah. So some people take it way too seriously, but, but I mean, agreed. what y'all like, this is awesome. Like when y'all said like Rhonda Shears, like flipping her breast, I was like, what? <laughs> she, no, for the record, she didn't actually do it. And for the people out there who thought she did it, she just said she did it. She didn't actually do it. We, uh, if you want to see it, you can Google it. <laughs> and what would be tails? But the, yeah, it, it was I, tails. I didn't know. I mean, you know, like you said, <laughs> so as as it always is. But like what you said, the fact that Rhonda Shear, I mean, like what y'all are saying is like, 
that's like this is scott like my jam like when you're yeah. talking oh, about yeah. like i mean you saw how long we talked about teak like <laughs> we love us some teak man dude you guys can totally come thank on you. anytime thank you, you, yeah, you are lot. fantastic judges even as a pair even oh, single well, either you. way you guys are fantastic tell people where to go see the orange years and all that tell about that before you go for real okay yeah so you can pre-order the orange years the nickelodeon story uh on itunes uh, you can rent it, you can buy it, you can do all that, uh, and it's, again, November 17th, but you can pre-order it now. Uh, come November 17th, you can also rent it or buy it on Amazon, and if you want a physical copy, uh, you can also get those at Target.com or Amazon.com. You can get a Blu-ray or a DVD uh, sent to you on Amazon. Fantastic. I already saw it. It's great. Oh, thank Go you. Go check it out, Like especially if you grew up through those years. Yes. And Mark and I talked about this before we came on the show and we, we kind of, we outgrew ourselves, uh, Nickelodeon by like right after the double dare years. So probably like 88, 89, but even just to see the beginning history and how they got it wrong and then they righted the ship and everything else and kind of just took over. It's cool. Yeah. That's an absolutely fantastic documentary guys. Thank you so much. I love all of the interviews and kind of the little tidbits and stories that you wouldn't normally get, yeah. you guys yeah. get in this. And there's just <laughs> yeah. so many things you're like, oh my god, I can't believe that happened. Or I never would have thought of this, that this would have happened on this show. Or they did this this way. And you guys got all that. So, oh, thank you. Awesome. It's a great, 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 great film. Appreciate it. It was due. It was definitely... When I saw that, I saw you guys on Instagram. And then I saw, you know, what it was that you put out. Yeah. I was like, alright, these guys, perfect to come on the show. We got to do this. And when I watched the documentary last night, I was like, this is fantastic. So go check that out. Thank y'all. Like I can, uh, I, I can speak on Scott's behalf and I can say definitely uh, we're really thankful that, you know, that y'all have us on and that you, you know, gave us, gave us high praise because it, it takes a lot of work and it's to the, it's to the credit of all the amazing people at the Nickelodeon network that change and shape generations. So, you know, yeah. they deserve all the credit. Scott and a ton of other people on the team deserve like all the world of credit. And, uh, you know, and this was amazing. So, yeah, this so like, much fun. Oh yeah. my God. I, I think the only way that we can actually close this out is by singing pinwheel. Together. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the entire <Really>? thing. Pinwheel spinning around. Look at my spin. <laughs> Nobody. Let's see what I found. Pinwheel. Good morning and night. Uh, I I only know the spinning chorus. Good morning good and night. Spinning good morning. Yeah, I actually had that as a pick in a previous episode, and the one thing I remember more than anything about Pinwheel was just the little cutscenes that you would have with all the kids oh just screaming Pinwheel at the top yes. of their lungs. Pinwheel, and you're like Pinwheel. <laughs> My brother was my brother was seven years older than me, so he was like way too old for it. And I loved Pinwheel, and he would always be like, "Shut up, shut up, turn it off! I will kick you in the teeth." 
Because he would always do that. He'd be like, Pimmel. Because there was one kid that did that. They like just looked at him and yeah. he was like, Pimmel. Yes. He's like, the kid can't even talk right. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> you know, he's like a cranky T. He's like 16, 17. Turn it off. And then whenever I grew up and we made a movie about it, he's like, still after I played him the movie. And he's like, you're still making me listen to this like 30 years later. That's actually, this is the bit like, this is the biggest behind the scenes little known fact before we, before we close out is that the entire film <laughs> was made to piss off Charles Barber, Scott's brother. My brother, yeah. That's why we did <laughs> it. And we did it. We did it. It was worth every penny. And we did it. So it's a success. It's a success so, yeah, already. Yeah. No, we actually love Charles. Charles is amazing. <laughs> yeah, he's a super cool guy. <laughs> well, cool. Well, thanks again for coming on, guys. That was fantastic. Thanks, guys. Our pleasure. Cool. Thank you. All right, jewelers. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to end this episode right here. Once again, I want to thank Adam Sweeney and Scott Barber for coming on the show this week. Now, if you've missed an episode, you can always head back over to DuelingDecades.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, wherever podcasts are available. But in the meantime, you can head over to Facebook.com forward slash DuelingDecades, where you can join our private group and share some of your very own retro memories. So until next time, Duelers, we're going to bid you a peace, love, light, and a joy. Have a grateful week, everyone. Infirmary Media.